I like death. I like death with sex. How about you, Casey? You like sex with death? Yeah, so fuck off and die. There'll be food and drink and ghosts. And perhaps even a few murders. You're all in fright. I want to kill everyone. Satan is good. Satan is our pal. Hey everybody and welcome to Betrothed, a couple's guide to genre film. I'm your host Chris and with me as always... I'm Katie. And um, we have... We took a week off. Hopefully you guys are still hanging in there. Everyone's healthy and happy and safe in the midst of what is a, I guess, semi-quarantine at this point. But uh, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about a really good movie. But first... How was your week off from doing the podcast? Were you able to get every, a little bit more stuff kind of yeah, it was in pro- order? It was productive for me. I uh, I was able to uh, get some work stuff squared away that took up some of my attention. Um, but also I needed to do a little bit of um, like inventory on, you know, habits of like the new, I hate to say the new normal. Don't, it's not a new normal. I don't like it. It's just life. Life is still going on, and so um, it was. It was kind of nice to uh, refocus a little bit. Nice. Well, uh, I was able to get a few things in order, and it was a good little little break. But uh, more importantly, we have um, a really great movie this week. It's 1989's Parents. So much fun! This is streaming on Amazon. Um, well, here's the thing. It's streaming on Amazon when we decided to record this episode, and as of the 31st, it's no longer free on prime oh. so i it's on amazon um and it's still available on amazon you might have to buy it or rent it but uh, i suggest that you do i actually watched it on tubi believe it or not and let hey. me tell you why <laughs> the thing that we've made fun of seven or eight times it's just another streaming thing sure um because when you were watching it on uh, amazon prime i couldn't for some reason just pick up from the beginning it made me continue where you were weird um, which really is weird because that usually doesn't happen like that. But um, so I just pulled over on Tubi and watched it, but I had to watch an ad in the middle of it because it's free. Wah, wah. But it wasn't a big deal. Well, you know, some people appreciate a commercial break, uh, stretch your legs a little bit. Okay. Reorient yourself. Right. Exactly. From the surreal. Unlike when we when we pause the movie constantly as we're taking exactly uh, and stuff. Exactly. Um, this movie is one that I remember the cover for more than anything i've seen the i've seen the vhs cover for this a lot and it's one of those that could have fit on that list of um things sort of kinder trauma vhs covers because it's a really good cover it is it's a really it's interesting it really pulls you in mary beth hurt and um randy quaid in their kitchen Mm um making some assorted meats making leftovers yeah making leftovers uh, and there's a skull in the fridge and so it, it's a really it's a really banal creepy mm-hmm. thing and that's kind of the the tone of this whole movie it's very banal but it's very creepy and i really love the juxtaposition of those tones with the beautiful architecture and decor of the 1950s yeah it's got this sort of throwback vibe to it where it's it's set in a nebulous time period no point does it ever say i don't believe the the year i don't believe it does either but it does 
it, it just has that fifties suburbia. Yeah, vibe. it's clearly the it's clearly in the fifties, but it just never says it never says a specific year or time period, and mm-hmm. I think that's important because this movie came out in eighty nine, which wasn't a time period when we really were were I think at the like the eighties was this fifties nostalgia time. Oh yeah, more than anything. Yeah, and this is the tail end of that. Well, the colors were great, and I think that the fifties were such a a. a interesting time in american culture that it is ripe for uh and you have a lot of people and it's contrast you have a lot of people who were born in the 50s and grew up in that time period who are now just at this point in um the world in the 80s or in their 30s so so that's that's kind of the way now you have a lot of this 90s nostalgia that kids are into and stuff Mm -hmm. all the way up to people our age because guess when we grew up the mm-hmm. 90s um so it, it sets it, it sets the tone for what's popular in mass and 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 that was an interesting thing in the, in the 80s because like a lot of these movies there was that that tinge of 50s throwback so you have also the stuff like christine mm-hmm. that's a you know that's a was a 58 plymouth fury or whatever um like you have all these little things. I think Greece was would have been like eighty one mm-hmm. or eighty. Mm-hmm. Was there? Was that late seventies? Either way, it's that still that era. So this to be so dark and um, and show it, it it is billed as a black comedy, and I think in a lot of ways it is. Mm-hmm. But it's an extremely effective straight horror. Oh yeah. Even though it's got a bit of a it's got a veneer of like um, sort of. Uh, it does have a plastic veneer. It no, is. it's not. It's not a. Uh, <laughs> it's that's not at all what I was looking for. It's not a. Um, uh, it's not a satire. Right. No. But it could be. But it's got its tongue in its cheek. It's got something in its cheek. Yeah, it's got someone's tongue in its cheek. <laughs> and uh, and and that really that's really effective. And and it also because the end of the eighties were coming out of that era of fifties stuff. So yeah. to send that sort of off with a with with some really dark shit, I think is really interesting. Just in just in culture, it is. And I think that it it, it plays well because the veneer of the perfection that we, that was betrayed in that case. It has a plastic veneer. Yes, and it it's really great to see what is so pleasant on the outside is actually dark on the inside. Absolutely, and I'm really enjoying that people who listening to this are getting to hear us be passive aggressive at each other. <laughs> um, now you're right. Welcome there, to the relationship. There's a uh, there is a um, there's a there's a really interesting thing where this movie explores childhood trauma more than anything. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, the, the 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 let's give people the setup of this movie. If you haven't watched it, please go watch it because this has genuinely fallen into my top twenty or like top handful of of horror films that I love. I love this movie. I'd never seen. I can't believe I never seen it. And now that I've watched it, I'm obsessed with it. Uh-huh. And I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, sometimes I close my eyes and there's certain shots that I keep seeing. And it's not all just the 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 conceit. Like the conceit is that these these parents may or may not be cannibals, and they yep. are cannibals. But also, there's a lot of nebulous gray area if you look at this movie from a different art perspective. The thing is, this movie is super artsy when it doesn't have any need to be, uh-huh. and it's super like the, the the idea of this is camp, and they put the camp in there, but the camp is not. A um, the camp is not 
the motivator. No. It's not played to be campy. It just happens to also be campy. Mm-hmm. Like that is the underlying thing is mm-hmm. the camp. And that's really fascinating. This movie is directed by, um, I'm sort of rambling, but it's because this movie gets me kind of scattered because it's just so fun. <laughs> this movie was directed by Bob Balaban, mm-hmm. the uh, great character actor who you've seen in a million things. If you are, um, if you're our age, to be honest, the most recent thing you probably saw him in was fucking um, Broad City. He plays mm-hmm. Alana's uh, dad. Yep. But he's he has a very specific look. He's been in a million things. He's directed a lot of stuff, uh, TV stuff, um, and like three features. And this is one of them. This was his first feature that he directed. Um, and it really shows his love for movies and film. Yeah. I, I, I'm astonished that this movie was panned. Um I'm not, but like in hindsight, I'm astonished because if you look at this movie, it's it it shows that Bob Balaban is a film kid, like grew up a film kid. Mm-hmm. He he, it's got it's. I want to say it has a, a a film school thing to it, but to be honest, it just seems like someone who loves movies. There's um, because there's say- a lot of because there's some Kubrick stuff. There's some there's some masterful strokes in this that are clear references to influences that sure. are like rooted deeply in cinema. Sure. I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't say that it is film school esque. I would say that there's touches of experimentation. Well it's not done it's not played it doesn't play out play pretentious. Mm-hmm. Pretentiously. Like none of it is for none of it has any like pretension behind it. No. Um and and that I think keeps it out of film school territory. Absolutely. But I think what I, what we're feeling by film school is the fact that there's just real solid like um technically sound filmmaking Mm -hmm. going on here Mm -hmm. and considering the other movies we've watched some of which are just full-on gonzo bananas stuff Mm -hmm. um it's a weird it's a weird juxtaposition from what we've been watching because it is because everything is so tight this movie is really tight Mm -hmm. everything happens when a lot of this movie nothing's happening oh yeah which is a great way to build suspense but somehow he manages to make nothing happen really well and tightly Mm -hmm. like it's (laughs) it's it's never not interesting it's never you're never not curious as to what's about to happen well and it feels like the slow moments um are purposeful yeah, everything. Well, everything in this movie is purposeful. It's like every you you can really tell. And and I and I was making notes of this as I was going. My notes this time are very interesting because I was purposefully not trying to make moment by moment notes, even though it would happen. Um, I I ended up this time writing down just my thoughts as we went, mm-hmm. like just things that popped up. And and a lot of it is is just subjective, like <laughs> like. This is really interesting. This is really brilliant. What he's doing here is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like, like there, it was really interesting. Just and I, and I can't tell if this is a bias from us watching bananas shit or if it just is what it is. Because I'm going to need to rewatch this. But again, this thing has fallen into like my top twenty movies. And it is it's, really fun. It's fascinating. Um, well, should we jump into this thing? Let's jump in. I'm let's, ready for it. Let's real quickly. Um, we, we talked about Bob Balaban, who now every time you see Bob Balaban, you're going to be like, that guy directed this movie. And it mm-hmm. is. You'll and never I, unsee I love it. him for it. Um, real quickly, this movie stars uh, Randy Quaid of mm-hmm. Randy Quaid fame, mm-hmm. um, who is. 
I mean, Randy Quaid's been in everything, right? Like, he's been in so many movies as so many weird characters. Oh, yeah. And I got to tell you, this might be the best thing I've ever seen him do. I have to agree. He's a genius in this movie. And, he plays this part perfectly. And I know that he's kind of on a on a on his own reservation now. Um out there uh on the internet. And you could mm-hmm. definitely find him even though he acts like he doesn't want anyone or the government to find him. But there's an air of psychotic psychosis behind this character he's playing that is super genius and I think a lot of it comes from him being a little bit, you know, screws a little bit loose and yeah. and, it, and it works so well it um, is really great also mary beth hurt who has been in a lot of movies um mm-hmm. she started out in woody allen uh you know mm-hmm. but woody allen stuff uh she's been in, in in a million things you've seen her um and then the great sandy dennis academy award-winning actress uh from who's afraid of virginia wolf is in this sadly she passed away a couple years after this movie came out um of ovarian cancer which is very sad but uh but she's great she plays the psychologist Mm -hmm. um social worker yeah who they call the social worker also her name is dr um do or miss do yes um that's something that's interesting before we jump too far into this uh the the way characters are handled in this movie, and, and this is, and I think this is very intentional. So the characters all have their names, mm-hmm. but in the credits they have their names, mm-hmm. and in the movie they they say their names. But when they do the little splashes at the end, there's this little kitschy kind of fifties mm-hmm. uh, TV show thing at the end. They literally refer to them as mom, dad, uh, the, boy. the social worker, and the boy. Mm-hmm. You know, so there is this. This whole movie has this overlying, underlying like thing about it. Where is this? Is this real? Mm-hmm. Is this? Is, is any of this actually happening? Mm-hmm. Because something fascinating. So this movie, uh, I don't know if I should even. Do you want to get? Should we get into the movie before I d- dive deep into this? Because I am, I'm fascinated by the um, the skill that this is executed with. So why don't we just start? <laughs> well, Dude, I'm so rambly today because this got me excited. I really love how they open this film because, it, first of all... Also, we get a Vestron Pictures logo, and anytime I see Vestron or any of those cool-ass old uh, releasing companies, I get excited. Yeah, they have a really great uh, title splash um, for their production company. And then we open on a title as a great... Con- in, okay, this font is so goofy okay, in contrast I wrote to the about, ominous movie. But I wrote music. about this font. I love it. I'm glad you made a mention of it. So this font is a big like... This font and this type of font, if if you ask me, I don't know if you have the same feeling, is a huge part of our childhood. Oh, absolutely. And it comes from these like 50s TV shows that we would watch mm-hmm. and 60s TV shows that would be on uh, like Nick at Night and stuff. And yes. then it translates even into like, there's a there's a 90s, I mean, you were a graphic designer. There's a very early 90s, late 80s sort of um, graphic design element that is that comes from that like 50s kitsch TV thing. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely one of those things. It, it's almost like yeah. Wild and Crazy Kids was like a modified version of this. Totally. It, it, it made its way into Nickelodeon a lot. Yes, because it was hyper colors, but it was very bold in contrast. Um, it most likely had a white and or black outline. And there's something about the uh, the cutouts. I don't know. This is font talk. You guys are probably fascinated by this. But <laughs> there is there is something about the cutouts of the um, the holes in the letters. Yes. The, the way that that's done is very particular to the shape of this type mm-hmm. of font. Mm-hmm. And and um, 
and that sounds great. That sounds dumb because, of course, it's particularly every shape. But that makes this font very mm-hmm. specifically. And you can change parts of the outside of the letters and it stays the same vibe. Yes. Um, and it's just so funny because it is a very specific, like, 1988 to 1992 kind of yep. thing. Um, but it's so funny that you, you brought that up. <laughs> well, I think that it also sets a really great tone. Um, because it automatically gives you that tension between the kitsch and the ominous and the, yeah. the dark and scary. And the music is great. Very good. And you'll hear a little bit of that music in the uh, trailer, which you can watch on our Instagram at Betrothed Pod. Wait, is that our Instagram? Yeah. Yeah. It just rolled off the tongue so easy. I was just like, <laughs> that can't be right. Uh, yeah, because that trailer's up there. And the, the song that it opens with is the song from the trailer. And mm-hmm. it's it plays a couple times in the movie. It's great. Um, but it cuts to their house. And I love this house. It does. Well, we get their this shift house. to upbeat uh, 50s horns. And we get this great panning shot of 50s suburbia. Um, and when that title like stretches and pops off screen, uh, and we get to see that in their really big old cool Oldsmobile old grill. Oldsmobile. I love it. Um and we get to see our um, family moving in and their, I mean, their their Oldsmobile is packed with everything they have. Mostly groceries. Clearly mostly groceries. Which is a, a theme. It is. Food is very important to this family and oh, can I relate. Well, and the, and the most, the most shots in this movie, anything in the house, I think the most shots happen in the kitchen. The kitchen and the living room. The 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 kit. Well, I am very, enthralled by this living room. The living room is amazing, but the the living room is is man. So this movie is going to be annoying for you guys because I'm going to analyze this movie like it's <laughs> Citizen Kane. The art pieces in this film are great. The well, set. It's not so much about the set; it's about what they did with the set. Now, yeah. something really interesting is you'll notice that the um, that the uh, the living room scenes, anything shot in the living room is um is a marker of escalation Mm -hmm. so everywhere every time they do a shot from the living room it shows uh, it's always to like signify a more an escalated darkness or an escalated like menace that Mm -hmm. has built up Mm -hmm. and anytime they show the kitchen it does this. The kitchen sort of has this breathing quality to it. Mm-hmm. So the kitchen is a common... Like Every time you're in the kitchen, you feel weirdly safe and unsafe at the same time. Anytime mm-hmm. you're in the living room, you really don't feel safe at all. Mm-mm. So every time you're in the kitchen, you feel safe for little moments, particularly when the mother is involved. Sure. Um, even though she makes you uncomfortable. But what Randy Quaid's doing, you never feel comfortable around him. He's always menacing. Mm -hmm. Um, Even when he's doing nothing, he's always menacing. So when you're in the kitchen with both of them or in the dining room, which is connected, everything has this air of like, it might be okay, it might not be okay. And as soon as you go to the living room, it's not okay. And as soon as you go to the basement, nothing is okay. Never okay. So there's this, like, that's very intentional. It is. And again, with the juxtaposition, the green of that living room is an important piece because it could be negative and it could be positive exactly it really is an emotionally stirring color yeah um because it not only symbolizes growth it symbolizes envy and that desire Mm -hmm. and um i think that it is um and greed and gluttony yes and that's a big thing about this movie yes uh, there's a lot of commentary there but like you said, we open on this living room or on this this we go into this house mm-hmm. and we see the living room mm-hmm. and we see well, the only things we see when we first move go into the house or the living room and the kitchen. Yep. 
You don't see anybody's bedrooms because we haven't gotten that personally involved with the characters yet. No, we're not that close to them yet. And there's this really interesting, like, kind of slowish scene where we're getting to know this family and we learn that dad's received um, a promotion. They moved here for him for his new job. It's this- vague, but not in any way that's any less vague than, a, you know, Ozzy and Harriet. Exactly. Leave it to Beaver kind of thing. That's exactly. What, and that's what they're if lampooning. Um, and there's this really awkward scene. <laughs> it's very ominous when dad takes the kid to bed, telling him about his experience as a scared child. Yeah. And let me tell you, that scene I thought was that this is the first time that, um, that, that Randy Quaid. So the, the right after we get that shot oh, quickly, I'm noticing little bits that I wrote down. Because we watched this for, uh, you know, full disclosure, we watched this yesterday. Also, yeah, 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 I know. We took a week off, and then we took an extra couple of days. Get over it. Um, I don't think they care. No, they don't care. Uh, they're like five people that are listening. Just kidding. <laughs> so I want to bring back the seasoning stick for the grill. Okay, yeah. So when they're sta- there's this beautiful shot of Mary Beth Hurt and um, Randy Quaid standing by a, an open grill mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh and he's got this he's got this 50 style like long stick mm-hmm. with like, like a, a seasoning shaker on the end of it oh and yeah the shaker the shaker yeah not, not not that like it's like a it's like a full-on salt shaker mm-hmm. i i only see that in like super old-timey stuff and i love it and i want one it's really awesome i think so we when one. we move and we get a grill we're gonna get one of those. i want a seasoning stick sounds good um also they start this like bob Balaban right after the credits, starts this movie off with a split diopter shot. And when he does that, I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So we're in for something very purposeful. Because mm-hmm. the first few shots, I mean, like the, the the credit sequence is great. Sure. It's very basic, and it lets you know it sets the scene. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he hits me with an immediate, like, super, super, uh, super split diopter shot. And what I mean by that is there's a, a shot where the, uh, the, the kid, uh, who we learn is Michael, is in focus to the left side of the screen, and then the dad and the mom are at the kitchen table in the background, mm-hmm. and they're in perfect focus as well. Mm-hmm. So that there, the it's 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 literally a lens with a split diopter, which mm-hmm. means that the center of the lens is essentially split, so that you can focus the left side and the right side differently mm-hmm. uh, at two different distances, if that makes any sense. But anyway, it's that first shot you see where you see everyone in frame and the kid really large, mm-hmm. and what that does. Um, that is so interesting is one, it's a little bit unsettling. Sure. Two, what it's sort of showing you is that, okay, we are going to see this movie from the perspective of Michael and the perspective of Michael, like him being large in that frame Mm -hmm. is telling the audience that there is, um, that, 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 that he is, we're closer to him than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that we're going to view most of this from his perspective because in his perspective, we are sitting where he where he is. He can yep. see both of his parents. His parents are mm-hmm. both in frame, but they're mm-hmm. distant and they're far away. So there's a lot of like meaning here, but it sets the tone for the it's entire that movie. distance that I want to touch on. It's that separation where yep. you're still seeing both of them in focus. Um, and it also lets you know, because typically we would just see the larger, we would see Michael in focus and the parents yeah, would yeah. be blurred out. But by bringing them into focus, it lets us know that, it really highlights the distance and the tension that that distance between and that separation between Michael and his parents holds. Yeah. And indefinitely like, and, and, and the other side of that too, and it's on a more base level is Michael's on the left and the parents are on the right. Mm -hmm. So you have a very traditional, your, your protagonist, even though it's sort of, it's gray, even though Michael 
is our protagonist for all intents and purposes is in, is being introduced from the left mm-hmm. and your villains are being introduced from the right. Mm-hmm. That is something that is time tested and it's always going to be that way. Yes. However, the way he does it right there is just very smart. There's a lot of storytelling in that one shot is what I'm trying to make. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, as I cough right into the thing. But this is where you said we get Randy Quaid taking him to bed. And yep. Randy Quaid is so fucking menacing right off the bat. Oh, absolutely. I am terrified of this dad. Smiling and menace. There's so much menace. because, And as the movie unfolds, he gets even more menacing and even more like unhinged. Mm-hmm. But he starts off like fully just... Like I said, leave it to Beaver, Ozzy, and Harriet, but there is this murderous psychopath behind his eyes. And yes. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. So Michael checks under his bed, and then I love the leap he takes from across his room into his bed. That was such a relatable, like, I can't get close to my bed because something could grab me. Yeah, and it's, and it's, and, and the way they did that too was really smart. And I'm sure I won't, won't, um, I'm not going to go too, keep going into this, but again, we are seeing uh, particularly all of this from Michael's perspective. All of the camera angles are very low. So all the parents look big and menacing. Mm-hmm. So th- what he's doing is giving us this air of helplessness mm-hmm. and feeling small. Or we're seeing Michael it, or we're seeing Michael from a um an ang- a, a downward angle where looking down at Michael and he looks like a small innocent child. Exactly. Um so in, as he leaps into his bed, we get our first really surreal camera moment where his bed disappears and his sheet sinks into this red bloody water and yeah, pull the bloodbath nightmare fighting and it's amazing he's drowning in this bloody pool and i think what that is really showing us is it's not and we kind of learn this as the movie progresses at this point i guess you would just see that this is his fears Sure. So these are his fears, and these are, and even even the way, like I said, the way they shoot it, it's his fears. Mm-hmm. It's him. It's him being afraid and feeling helpless and feeling scared and alone. Mm-hmm. And and um and all of the, particularly the father figure in his life is, scares him even more and is so much larger than life to yes. him. Yes. Um, and menacing. That so way. once Michael's bedding and Michael sinks into this red water and we sink into this red water, it transforms into this sauce that, that Michael's he's slapping now his hands in and it made me really in. uncomfortable. And we learn why he's playing sure. with it. Um, but it, this is a great scene in the kitchen. We really get to establish the feel and the interesting relationship between Michael and his mother. Cause yeah. she's much more playful with him. And it's, but also it's a very traditional mother son relationship. Yes. Um, she's very sweet with Michael. Mm-hmm. She's very patient with Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but she's still got a menace about her. Sure. Particularly when she's wielding a knife and she's cooking in the kitchen. She's definitely the authority. She's definitely the authority. Um, the only superseding authority is Michael's father. Mm-hmm. And what what is interesting about this scene, so this is the first time we see her cooking, and they start talking about mm-hmm. uh, leftovers. Yep. This is meat that he doesn't know what it is. Looks like livers or tongues. I wasn't yeah. sure at this point. I'm pretty sure it's tongues. Oh, I see. I'm pretty sure they're Most livers. of the time it's tongues and livers. Yep. Um, so she explains that this is meat that they defrosted from the move from when right. she cleaned out the refrigerator. She's talking about how like all of these, so all these leftovers they have are coming from when they moved the fridge. So yep. he just buys it from and here. 
at this I point. I will say, in the 50s, we didn't quite know how long things lasted in refrigeration. We thought it yeah, was I this like the... miracle thing where <laughs> things just last forever once they're frozen. To be fair, though, if we ask you, it is. Well, yeah. Because I threw away stuff from our fridge that we had like two years ago yesterday. Oh, funny. Um, now, the, no, but what's funny about that, too, is that like the idea that she would then, that her solution would be to just cook everything. Yep. Yep. Which is a very me solution. Well, it, it defrosted. You can't refreeze it. You got to just cook it. Um, and then the, she Also, can I just say real quick that sure. her clothes are amazing in this movie? Oh, the costume Like, her design. dresses are insane. Yes. She is amazing. Everyone looks I good. Mean, but, but she looks incredible. Yes. Which is the way it should be. And when we meet the, the, the floozy wife friend, yes. she also looks insane. Like, her clothes are incredible. Which brings us to Sheila, because we are just now starting school. Michael goes to school. And the teacher is doing some... So we meet this teacher, too. She, mm-hmm. I, I've got to shout her out, because she's doing some amazing shit in this movie. Her, and, and, I can, and I'm not sure, I didn't look up exactly who played her, but what she's doing when they first introduce the teacher in Michael's new classroom is so brilliant. She's sort of put out by being there. Mm-hmm. She's sort of not interested in being back at school and she's pissed that her summer break is over and you can read it on her face but she doesn't really say it so much sure but she's got this like i haven't had coffee yet kind of vibe mm-hmm. and it's so much less about its first thing in the morning and more about like this is the first day of school and i have to deal with these fucking little shitheads mm-hmm. to do that and never be mean is so relatable and real i feel like every elementary school teacher to I, an extent was i definitely this had this teacher yes i had this teacher at least twice I had this teacher, and she's very sweet. I had all of my but teachers were great, but she's kind of done with it because she's probably yes. been teaching for like ten, fifteen years. Absolutely, at this point, and it's just so over it. And this is also clearly small town, like suburbia, new suburbia. Yeah. She knows all these kids. You know, I went to school. I went to elementary school in a little tiny town. Mm-hmm. So when I went to elementary school, I was in like north central Louisiana for a few years, mm-hmm. and so from from kindergarten to fourth grade. Uh, so this whole time period, I was in a very small town in the middle of like, sure, like a paper mill country. And when you guys got a new kid in class, it was I was the new kid. Well, that was kindergarten. That's a whole different thing. But still, like it, it's this. Yeah, you get a new kid in class. They want to address it, but also this teacher just doesn't care. <laughs> also, I want to address. They're you so just much said older. that you were the new kid in kindergarten. So that means that this was such a small town that preschool kids all knew each other because there were just that few of them yeah i mean like yeah 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 yeah, for sure it, it was a very small town and, and um because for the, for me kindergarten everybody was a new kid yeah it was there was ma- a handful of people who knew other people because See, they it was lived it was less block. me being the new kid at that point but it did feel that way because it is a small town people knew each other people's parents knew each other and they might they knew my mom mm-hmm. my mom went to high school there like my mom grew up there sure. from there so like they knew who i was but the kids had did. already had like play dates with these kids mm-hmm. beforehand so that was weird but i was really a new kid when i moved back to texas oh, yeah. and went to Coppell in like fifth grade but uh so that was that was I, it's the same vibe though even yes. like like that elementary thing, it's the same vibe. But these teachers don't want to be there. It's such a there's something so perfect and universal about this scene. I think is what we're trying to to make. Like it, it this this doesn't change. Technology changes, but this type of like new kid yes. trope, this is always Never the same thing. And I love and hate putting the kids on the spot, asking for them to tell us something new, because Sheila teaches the class how to make a gimlet. A gimlet. Oh, um. It's not a gim. Not uh. Uh-uh. She teaches the class. What did she? 
she teaches them how to make basically a dirty martini, but I believe that she told them that it was a gimlet. I'll have to look. What was it? Shit. Anyway, um, and then <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna like I I I can't pause and go look it up. I'm trying to just remember. Uh, I don't know. It'll come to me. She teaches them how to make a cocktail. Mm-hmm. And then Michael decides to share with them Is how like a to become spell? invisible. You broil a black cat and in skin the oven, it. skin it, and eat its bones, and you become invisible. Now, that was very... Okay, so first of all, it's extremely ominous that he would say that, right? Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, where did that come from? Is this his imagination or is this his weird, crazy parents? And that is the question I'm asking myself throughout this entire movie. I am not sure what is a child's dream or elaborate imagination. So as soon as that happens, your brain goes exactly what you're saying. You go, wait. Uh Uh-huh. Is this... Okay, so as I'm watching it, my first thought is, all right... So these parents are involved. This is deep, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking the parents immediately. And then I start to realize, oh, no, he could just be a kid. This could just be a kid thing. Yeah. And then I start to think, oh, wait, no, is he like a little sociopath? Is this the beginning of that? Right. So, because uh, I'm like, is it imagination? Is mm-hmm. it real? Is it imagination? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a sociopath. Mm-hmm. But then we meet his little friend who said the, uh, his girlfriend now, uh, Sheila, Sheila, who who talked about the the uh, the drink, yes, and and she's just as weird as he is, but in a, but in a more like grounded fucked up business, very much so. You can tell that she has a complicated relationship with her parents, yes, from these moments of dialogue, and also that she, as a child, is disassociating because as they make friends, as they're leaving the school, she goes on this monologue about how she's from the moon. And that's really interesting to me because we don't think, based on anything that she's done, that she's an overly creative child. Well, and this is where we immediately start to feel like there's a big trauma motif going on here. Yes. Because without without knowing this, her character, I think it's safe to say her character has been sexually molested at some point. She's had some type of abuse. It's some type of, but it's most likely because of the way her character plays out. This is just projection, but it seems like some sort of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, whether and I don't think it's like parental, but like the way her character is written, you know that kid. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. her disassociation is very specific. Mm-hmm. It's not like a like a I watch someone die. Mm-hmm. It's like something happened to me, and a lot of the times that plays out in those type of situations so really interesting that they go right there with that because it could be anything and and so so these two characters are now getting to know each other and clearly immediately clicking because Mm -hmm. they're both weirdos as far as they're concerned and sheila was held back a year michael asks why she's so tall huge (laughs) (laughs) she says that she's held back a year yeah and Um, that all of people from the moon are, are that way yeah like she starts talking about her being from the moon and and I think that's why she likes Michael, too, because he's fucking weird, and she wants to figure out what that's about. And he's willing to go along with it. While oh, yeah. she calls him a weirdo, she, he is just like, yes, anding her. Yeah, he buys into the whole thing, and, mm-hmm. and it goes back to him like... Because so it's like, not the craziest thing he's ever heard. But it, And it continues to perpetuate this thing of like, is he just a crazy little kid who is going to go be John Wayne Gacy, or is he 
mm-hmm. you know, or is this actually happening to him and he's dealing with the trauma of his parents being psychopaths? Exactly. And at, when Michael gets home, he surprises his parents. Like they are, they're startled that he's home. Um, uh-huh. We assume they lost track of time or something. And this is one of the weird first. Weird that dad is home in the middle of the day. Yes. And also, once we learn more about dad, weird that he's home then too. I thought about that the whole time is it's odd that he's home. So they definitely like killed somebody here yes theoretically yes well they're if they're we're going to believe harvesting that, something if we're going to believe that any of that is even true to begin with yes now um sorry if you guys hear lar- yard work happening our whole neighborhood decided to have their yards done today yeah we had a lot um, of rain over the weekend um and so everyone the, we've been fighting leaf blowers all morning <laughs> yes we've been we've tried guys i'm sorry um <laughs> the uh the, the the when he gets home, that's another. That's the first time we get a really good one of these shots. You were talking about the living room mm-hmm. and how terrifying it is. This shot is a, st- a static shot mm-hmm. of the living room from a very low angle, facing the, the uh, stairs, the stairs upstairs and to the basement. Um, I think this is from the kitchen. Kind of, it's it's from, from the, the entryway room. to the. It's toward the dining. Sort of from the dining room towards the stairs. Towards yes, the entrance. it's toward that wall that is shared. And it's so low, but what's what's great about it is it allows Dad to step up the stairs. So it allows Michael to walk in from the left. And mm-hmm. this is all in one shot. He walks in from the left, basically going like, "Hey, I'm home." Mm-hmm. Dad walks up from the basement, which is horrifying, mm-hmm. and he doesn't ever come fully up the stairs. So he's kind of. One foot in this basement. Uh-huh. And he's saying, what are you doing home so early? And then mom comes in from, from the, the kitchen, kitchen from the left. Yeah, from the right. Uh, uh, Yeah, from the right, but camera left. She comes in, I believe. Either way, it doesn't matter. She comes in from that, that backside, and it is so... Um, it's so menacing. It is because we're all meeting here in the middle. Everyone has been caught doing something is what it feels like. Yes. All three parties. And mom kind of tries to cover with pleasantries again. Like, oh, now we know. Like, Yeah, because home. he says something like, like, yeah, school yeah. lets out at 3.15 or whatever. Yeah. And she's just quarter like, oh, quarter to three. Now Every we know. Every day. Every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's super weird and creepy. Yep. And then they cut immediately to dinner. Yeah, so we transition to this dinner scene where dad is super aggro and... Uh, something real quick before you before you get there. Something that they do really well a lot too is there's levels of the parents or someone getting caught in the act mm-hmm. uh, throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's a mo- recurring motif. And it escalates. And it escalates. And this is the first time that everyone got caught doing something they shouldn't. Yes. And, and in the parents' eyes, he shouldn't be home right now. So technically, he got caught doing something he shouldn't is right. being home right now. So I just wanted to put that out there. This is the first time mm-hmm. somebody gets caught doing something they shouldn't. Yes. Um, so we have dinner and dad gets really upset at Michael because he believes that Michael is lying when he talks about Sheila and what he learned at school today, which was how to make a cocktail and that she's from the moon and all of those things. And this is where we get the great line of eat your meat. Yeah. Yeah. They, they really want him to eat his, his, uh, his, his protein proteins. Yeah. Now, that is a that is an interesting combination thing. So one, this clearly comes from that fifties era of like finish your plate, finish your plate, very classic parent thing. Yes, um, particularly like this whole it's this whole like 
they would eat weird meat in the 50s too like you totally. would eat all types of meat at home like yep. the, the veal thing like all that like Anything this eat you your get, veal kind of and you, dad wanting you to eat your you know it wasn't eat your vegetables it was eat your fucking meats eat your liver and onions <laughs> exactly which this has a little bit of a liver and onions vibe yeah um and we i love that mom prepares the meats in different ways but it's almost always the same oh we get gucci close-ups it's of meat. great and as the movie we get escalating close-ups of raw meat mm-hmm. um so yeah this is a very creepy scene and is this one ends with him um this one ends with him um going off to bed again right yeah so mom tucks michael into bed and this is where i question if this kid is truly psychotic yeah and w- before we get there i want to make note of the fact that uh more fucking film schooly things the camera movement <laughs> in the uh-huh. in this first scene uh them around the dinner table um so i think before we saw the dinner table but we didn't see it in its full Mm-hmm. like what it's going to be and mm-hmm. that's what this is so now we see the camera moving around the dinner table right yes and it's a beautifully done shot there's nothing more difficult than writing and executing a dinner scene people sitting around a table it's rough because you have eye lines changing constantly mm-hmm. uh for a camera you have to remember that which when you're writing it when you're writing anything more than two people particularly a dinner scene where no one's moving you have to make sure that nobody is left out mm-hmm. right and if they are left out they're left out for a reason and that you're cross like you're not crossing in a bad or weird way exactly um, it's very complicated. So they were able to really do a great job of moving this around. But mm-hmm. I also want to point out, because we're going to come back to this and, and, and keep an eye on the way these dinner table scenes work, is that this time, um, this is a voyeur uh, shot mm-hmm. more than anything. So mm-hmm. we've been following Michael, but now that we're at their dinner table for the first time, we're not in, um, this is so fucking, this is so fucking uh, like textbooky and me being a super nerd. But okay, so... We haven't been allowed to sit at the table with them yet. Please don't laugh at me. If you analyze this, mm-hmm. and this is real, okay? Mm-hmm. Listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. The camera is moving around the table. Mm-hmm. And it's moving around the table as this whole scene is executed. Mm-hmm. And it's moving kind of quickly. So it's because we, the audience, are a voyeur here. We're watching this intimate situation. Mm-hmm. And we're um, not allowed to sit down. We can't move yet. We haven't been invited into the circle, but we are able to look into the circle and we're watching the circle and it's almost, uh, we're it's, orbiting the yes, table. It's almost fetishistic at this point. We're watching what's happening with this weird family mm-hmm. and we're orbiting them. Right? So as this goes on, watch what happens with the camera, particularly when we reach the final dinner table shot. So mm-hmm. I just want to put that out there as another analyzed thing. So <laughs> he goes to bed, mom comes in there and it's a very cute scene at first. And then he says something that, like you said, makes me feel like he is a he is a small Norman Bates. Now, did you write down what he explains here? Because I did. <sighs> okay, so um, what he says, he you tells- you got it, but it's something. It's a, it's a, it's a this, what I wrote down was holy God, Michael's soliloquy about burning hanged people for fuel is beautifully horrifying. Okay. That's what I wrote down. But I want you to read, if you wrote down this whole soliloquy. Well, there's a point where I wrote down some full lines from this movie, mostly for myself, because I was sure. like, that's good. So <laughs> mom is explaining to Michael why there's cl- cracks in the plaster ceiling. Um, mm-hmm. It's about the natural gas pipes, expanding, contracting. Which we learn is this weird Chekhov's gas line 
thing that that is really deeply buried in this movie. So keep going. Yes, um, which is why I bring that up. Um, and it's really buried, right? It is literally like the whole the whole idea the of Chekhov's gun is if you show a gun in the first act, you have to shoot the gun in the third act. Now. That happens with this gas. I know. But it didn't dawn on me till late, like late into oh, the gas see, thing. I was like, oh, whoa. I, when this because happened. Because it's so buried. Literally. But when this scene happened, I knew the gas was going to come back. It's like they put a gun in the background of a shot on someone's desk in a case. Yes. And then they brought it back at the end and, they, yes. and you just it's never see it. It's literally you're opening it's the drawer so to see a quick. gun and that gun is going to come back. Yeah. But it's so quick. It's really well done. So this prompts Michael to explain to his mom how he could solve the natural gas problem. He thinks that we could chop off people's like we could hang and kill people but we could chop off their hands and throw them into a fire and their hands will burn forever and we won't need natural gas anymore right now that's horrifying and the way he says it is so plainly and childlike like plain and childlike it is horrifying and the way the mother reacts to it is like that's adorable yeah i have so many questions yes so many questions but that sets up another thing it it gives us the question it makes us question whether or not this movie that we're clearly viewing from the perspective of this small child Mm -hmm. is actually real or if all of this is just a twisted just slightly to the left version of what this kid is seeing and afraid of and is experiencing exactly is it heightened by his imagination exactly is this all his imagination but it also begs the question um it also begs the question like what happened like are they moving is he just a psychopath is this are these things that he's heard them talk about sure how is he is there some there's this constant undertone of like is there witchcraft happening with these parents right or is are they is he absorbing something that he's twisting in 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 making worse in his own head um and i do want to note at this point in the film i believe that mom has pontificated to michael that the reason why he has dreams is when he takes his pajamas off yeah at one point did she say interesting layer to me but they didn't really get into it too deeply did they no it was just kind of something that she noticed and and passes and says kind of offhandedly to michael it stuck out to me too and it really stuck out to me because it also makes me think of sheila who's about to come back into the film um and, and her abuse because i feel like her is either her abuse is either sexual or parental and there's something yeah. going on where mom's like, well, you know, it only happens when you take your pajamas off. So, the, the, also... And it feels like one of those motherly warnings. Shit, man. Okay, I just thought of something else. So, you said that, and it's so true, because it also seems like... It, it seems... The, the way I read that, too, was that, like, in his dreams did he take his pajamas off, meaning, like, you can tell you're dreaming if you're naked. Like, because mm. you're not... You wouldn't normally be naked, because you mm-hmm. sleep in pajamas. So did you have your pajamas off? Because that means it was a dream. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like I, sure. I viewed it kind of like that Sure. As See, well. I thought it was very literal because he took his, takes his pajama shirt off and lays it on his desk next yeah. to his robe. And he sleeps in his uh, tank top. Exactly. Also, the other thing I was thinking about was uh, in terms of um, this sort of dream sequency type thing. You also have to start questioning whether or not, um, oh my God, what's her name? Sheila. Mm-hmm. Whether or not Sheila is real. Oh. Oh, shit. Is Sheila a figment 
of his imagination. I guess not because no. she's been spoken to by the teacher and she yeah. gets spoken to by her mother, but she's never in the room with her parents. That was another interesting thing. She's never in the same room with her parents. The one time her mother talks to her, she's hiding in the car. Mm-hmm. We get to that later. Oh, I love that. The other, the other time, the, the and any time she's mentioned yeah, at all, she was definitely avoiding adults at all times, which again, translates more to she has been abused by mm-hmm. an adult mm-hmm. um and uh and that also might be why she's been held back mm-hmm. so there's all kind of really interesting the, the sheila movie is just as interesting as the michael movie i think that hers is just a, a, a dark fucked up drama and his is a psycho thriller horror yes. movie. so yes anyway i thought that was really interesting also i want you to know that um it came it dawned on me um, and by dawn on me, I looked it up while you weren't paying attention. And uh, the the cocktail is a Gibson, uh, so which is funny. I should have thought about G. that because it's a it's a Gibson. It's a guitar thing. Right. Um, for those who don't check know. out my YouTube channel <laughs> that I've been working on for Chris guitar is a big content. Guitar nerd as well. Um, it's called Gearville. It's coming soon. Um, the the. The thing with Sheila, it keeps coming back to me, is that I we're going to have to really dissect that more as we go along. And just oh, yeah. keep an eye, keep it in your brain that maybe Sheila is either not real or is something different is going on with Sheila. <laughs> yeah, something different is going on with Sheila is what anyway. I'm going to say. So here, after this um, weird moment with Michael and his mom, he and goes the, to sleep. The burning hanged people. And then Michael wakes up, and this is where we get another... Kacha scene. This is the this is the un this is the the really the breaking point in Michael's brain. Everything unfurls here. So Michael walks in on his parents. Essentially, walks in on his parents having sex in the living room. Now, yeah, there's moaning and giggling happening, and he we, interrupts them doing something. What he sees is them doing something. We believe it's having sex. We think there might be blood involved, but we can't really tell. We're not it's sure. shot so beautifully that okay. it that it, it that it feels like that fever dream. So what is it what what's really fascinating about this, and I think this is a really smart way to show the horror and trauma involved with walking in on your parents having sex. Mm-hmm. I never did that. Well, I don't have any trauma memories of walking in on my parents. If I do, I blocked it out. Right. But I don't really have any memories of that. But what I, I do have memories, like trauma memories very similar to that. Mm-hmm. Just sort of ones that everyone has that sort of feel that way. But I don't know about you, but the way he shot that made it, it was so viscerally uh, accurate as yes. to what it feels like to remember something traumatic. Yes. So like the way he's viewing, like they shot it the way you would remember a childhood trauma. Yes. So having him experience it that way is so incredibly effective mm-hmm. um, and, and, um, and affecting because to the pro viewer. tip, you don't remember it as a big wide angle shot. And you don't remember it as it happened. No. Most of the time, and, and it's been like it's been proven that most of our memories are fake. Like right. a lot of our memories are heightened and created to make or it better. Piecemealed. Or, yes. To make it better, worse, or more mm. able to be recalled and understood. It's to make it emotionally effective. The exactly. whole point of our memories is to draw back on them for survival. Yes. Um, to know how we should react in the new moment. So we tend to place new, we tend to place little things in there that make it fit better in the boxes mm-hmm. in your brain. And we know that traumatic events are easier to recall yeah. than positive events. Um, again, for survival. Yeah. Um, and so, which is why when they, the, the parents are, the sheets are white. Yep. 
that are on the ground in this living room. Mm-hmm. So it could also be their bedroom. Mm-hmm. We don't know. You know what I mean? Like they shot it to make it look like their bedroom was in their living room, which is another thing to do. So you're, so you're making it more confusing for Michael because mm-hmm. Michael doesn't, it's, he just woke up. He's foggy. He doesn't know what he's seeing. He is very confused, which is also why my brain is like, there is something else going on in here because right. what fifties parents are taking their sheets into the living room exactly. to have sex. So are they, is this some sort of blood ritual thing with the cannibal thing? Mm-hmm. So is he just to the version? And again, we're watching this from Michael's perspective. So the version we're seeing is what Michael's thinking is happening. Yeah. And this whole time, the things that we're seeing are usually what Michael's thinking yeah. are happening. So, so it goes back to the question of what is actually real and what well, isn't. Because we're not just seeing things from his Because also Michael doesn't know what sex looks like. Perspective, we're seeing things from his perception right it's his it's his it's his viewpoint so Mm -hmm. so we're gonna see the filtered version Mm -hmm. and then what's fascinating there is they don't show you them naked they don't show you them having sex they show you them wearing white cotton underwear and on white cotton sheets yep much like and and makeup smudged around their faces Mm -hmm. which also in later scenes when they call back to it is like blood and is and it's Mm -hmm. more it's more graphic and more intense so michael doesn't know what sex is looks like because it's well a it's the 50s and b he's a very small child so it's not like there's a lot of hardcore porn out there he could access right so not having that information he wasn't seeing something like like that right his brain is just putting together what he thinks might be happening Mm -hmm. so in his brain they're just rolling around smooshing their makeup around on the Mm -hmm. floor and they're both wearing they've covered up all their genitalia Mm -hmm. so that's a trauma block thing Mm -hmm. so he's covering those parts that's why they're shot that way so this is really smart shit going on right here (laughs) the other thing that's really smart is that uh we see mom's lipstick smudged but then when she uh, at the end of the scene stands up and is carrying michael to bed her lipstick is perfect yeah, everything is sort of so again, that's not that's not an accident. That's no. on purpose because we're supposed to be thinking is this really happening? Mm-hmm. Is this just in Michael's brain? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the things we see are just in Michael's brain mm-hmm. like this. And we we're, we're going to repeat that a lot during this episode, but let me tell you, man, that was an effective scene and you see you see what he's trying to do there immediately and you're like, oh my God, this is great. Mm-hmm. And it makes you ask so many more questions. And then it's really great because Michael's mom is telling him on the way to bed that he's safe. Yes, everything's fine. He's safe. He's okay. And this yes. is where he comes back in that she is the she is the positive driving force. Mm-hmm. The problem is both of the driving forces in your life, positive and negative, are both also negative. Mm-hmm. So from here, we go back to school, and this is where Miss Baxter, the teacher... The good old draw a picture of your family gambit. Yeah! So they open their workbooks, and... Never goes well. Michael's drawing is as horrifying as you imagine it's going to be after the night he just had. Yeah, they show... They cut to... they, they, They draw, and then they cut to her... At home, mm-hmm. oh, you know what bed. else happened in that scene? Real mm. quick, that I thought was interesting was that um, that you wouldn't see today is that when she's passing out those notebooks, Michael's trying to tell. Uh, he's trying to talk to he's Sheila. He's trying to talk to Sheila. He's trying to tell Sheila that his parents were fucking last night, mm-hmm. and whatever that means to to him, and um, that or he saw them eating somebody. We mm-hmm. don't know. So so uh, he tries to tell her that, and the teacher walks by and. She, Sheila's telling him to sit down because the teacher's coming. And the teacher says, uh, I'll let this go because I know she's your special little girlfriend. Uh-huh. And she said that 
in the middle of everybody and no one reacts to it. But it's one I of those things. Some giggles. There might be some giggles, but the way that is played seems like, oh, there's a little traumatic thing that the that uh-huh. teacher should not have done. Um, Especially for us, because that would have been um, soul-crushingly embarrassing for a child. A hundred percent. But you're looking at a different, very different era too. Mm-hmm. So, so that was a fascinating, like pathos kind of moment for everyone involved. Anyway, we cut back to the teacher in her apartment mm-hmm. or her little house, grading these, looking at these things, and mm-hmm. and having like like drinking something, and then she comes across Michael's. And it is as horrifying as you'd imagine. Mm-hmm. So his are his mom, him, and his dad drawn just in black. And then everything on the page remaining has been scribbled in red. So I wonder when that started. Because it's a very common trope in movies now. I wonder how far back that goes. Well, because you think, think of things it- like... It's like got a Babadook kind of thing about it, like mm-hmm. sinister. There's that scribbly kid drawing things. Uh, I think part of it think goes of back a, to Freudian style psychology, where sure. the association and representation of making children do that, and then kind of yes, analyzing it. Also, it's a way that child psychologists get children get to see how children represent things. Sure, um, it's a a, a a good way for children to communicate with us adults. It's a common device in the real world. Is what you're yes. saying? Yes, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and so that's part of why we see it in in the film here. And this is when. Um, we know that Miss Baxter is disturbed because she has a meeting with the school psychologist, which they do refer to as the psychologist here. Yeah. Though we learn later that she is a social worker. Now, what? Well, they say the social worker, but I think at the time that that she was, she's a psychologist, but she works for the city. Sure. So I think that that makes her a social worker, but I think she's also a psychologist. Well, she no, she well, says like, in a scene with Michael that uh-huh. she didn't go to school for she wanted oh. to study. That's why she's a social worker. Oh, interesting. She wanted to research, which is at the time not something that they did. Or did she say she didn't go to be a doctor? Because we'll she's a psychologist. I may, I may have made note about that. Okay, I just was curious because yeah, I know what you're talking about, and it it was definitely it bumped me a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love that she decides to have this meeting with Michael's mom and she's smoking during the meeting, which yeah, is very so 1950s. Also, we cut to gross food close-ups again, but this time she's not doing meat. She's doing vegetables. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting because when she's not cooking meat, there's less menace in the kitchen. Sure. And that's an interesting thing just visually and mm-hmm. storytelling device-wise. And and she so calmly gets goes to the uh, school because she kind of knows what's about to happen. Yeah, either she knows or she just doesn't really care. Um, it's almost like an, uh, again, okay. Uh-huh, like this like is kind of par for the course, even though this is the first time this is happening at this school. Right. Um, I got that vibe, too, that this was this was something she's totally used to doing. Yep, and I love that when um, the social worker psychologist asks about... Miss Dew. Miss Dew asks about their relationship. Oh, God. Um, all mom wants to talk about is Michael not being a good eater. Yeah, yeah, right. And so, because everything's revolved around food, mm-hmm. because that that, and as we learn, that is the most mom, important part of their home dynamic. Mom had to learn that. So, yes. But these things, it's it's that it's that fifties family dynamic. So everything is dad. Everything mm-hmm. is dad, right? Dad is in charge of everything. Mm-hmm. Mom makes the ship run, but dad calls the shots. Mm-hmm. And it's that weird fifties patriarchy thing, right? So. 
all of the cannibalism, all of the meat eating, the food comes from dad. Mom is adapted to it. Mm -hmm. So mom's whole life revolves around this food because Mm -hmm. if she doesn't have that worked out, dad brings the food home, whether it is uh, a metaphor or actual people. um, And she, her job is to get it prepared and cook it every Mm -hmm. day. So everything is food to her. So the only things important to her are food and Michael. Dad's yeah. not even that important, as we learn. But anyway, the 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 job that Sandy Dennis is doing as Miss Do is pretty great. Um, her playing this sort of hapless school psychologist thing, mm-hmm. where she's concerned, but she's more fascinated, and and her being bumbling there in that first scene while dropping her cigarette is such yes. an interesting thing you were talking about because. Uh, the way that mom reacts mm-hmm. to her driving the cigarette, just very much like I'm going to let this happen. Because yeah. if it, the more, it's almost like the more calm and normalized everything is for me, the less they're going to be asking questions. Yes, and the it's, normal it's a very person, interrogation scene thing, right? It, it is, and you wonder if this is Miss Dew's tactic. Or if she is just kind of a little bit of a fumbling Oh, if she's trying person. to get her off guard. Yes, if she's trying to crack a little bit and not only see how Michael's mom reacts, but um, kind of disarm her a little bit. Because well, mom doesn't and blink. focus on something else. Mom doesn't blink or get spooked. Because the average person would jump up because yeah. you want to step away from the flammable object on the highly flammable 50s rod. Yeah, and it seems that, it seems that the mom is acting like... Yeah, like if she doesn't react, doesn't respond, and completely acts normal and lets that person be the the idiot, Mm -hmm. then they're never going to ask her any deep questions about what's going on. They're not going to probe. Yeah. Because they they are very, they're very guarded in a way that's like, we've been through this before. Yes. We go to towns, we eat people, we go to the next town. Yes. So she, she doesn't, such a brilliant thing where she's, she's never going to, uh, she's never going to relinquish her air of um, suburbanite. You know what no, I mean? <laughs> like, nor control. Yeah, she's never going to. She's never going to not be a prim and proper mom. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating because the next thing that happens in that scene is she asks about a relationship with the dad mm-hmm. and Michael, and she won't categorize what they do together because they don't do anything together. She no. realizes in that moment that there's a t- that the relationship between her son and her husband is horrible. Yes. And she never thought about it. But she sweeps it under the rug very quickly. And, and that's all she's, she's clearly yep, always been doing that. They do things together. Yep, yeah. They do lots of things And together. I don't think she's ever been pressed on that question before. No. Because when she is pressed, is the first time we see any cracks in her armor. Mm-hmm. So in a weird way, the uh, Ms. Dew, the, the, the social worker, she she actually gets a little victory here. Yeah. That she doesn't even realize she's getting. No, but it's a victory for us. It's a victory for the viewer. Yes. Um, and it's it's in, inherently a victory Which for the Which is frankly all worker. that matters. Exactly. Because if you notice, again, in the scenes Michael's not in, our camera view is very, like, uh, no, it's nothing. Everything is very right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Everything is. It's mostly very either level. medium one shots or medium two shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're right from the scent from everyone's like adult perspective. Mm-hmm. So Michael's not involved. So we're viewing this as a voyeur, mm-hmm. right? We're not Michael. Michael's Neutral. not there. So that's that's another interesting aspect. 
Now, from here, we move into what might be the most pivotal scene in the film for me. Hey, we get to Toxico, and I love every time we go to where his dad works at Toxico. I love... Toxico is a great menacing company, <sighs> chemical chemical company this name. This era of chemical futurism. Oh, my God. I love it so much. It's so great and awful and horrifying. Yes. Because, like, we know what it did to the world. We li- mm-hmm. We're living in it right now. Yes. Right? If so, you have watched daytime TV, you see the lawyers... Um, advertising their services to help you because you were exposed to the chemicals these companies made down to down to what they've done to the environment down Mm -hmm. to how we're trying to do damage control now to be fair uh, a lot of big discoveries came out of this period, particularly totally. in terms of things like plastics and and uh, and and the way we use chemicals today. Sure, but the 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 negative from all of that is the We've side effects. We've also had a to, lot of negatives from the synthetics. Yes, so the synthetic uh, side effects that we have encountered, including the trash island mm-hmm. in the middle of the there's the, the ocean, five trash islands, all the way to the holes in the ozone layer. So yes, there's this positive and negative about it but it's so funny to watch this super positive happy fun uh like viewpoint on mm-hmm. this thing that's going to eventually crush the the uh the yes. world <laughs> in and, many ways um the dad's boss has this kind of whimsy about him and he is very I love this hopeful and um he's the perfect boss from that time period he's, yeah absolutely he's done he's got nothing to be mad about yet <laughs> exactly and this is where we get to learn a little bit about what michael's dad does for work Right. Um, and Michael clearly doesn't understand it, which he explains to Sheila later. He doesn't know what his dad does. I think that they might have been... even asked that early in the movie when they first met. What does your dad do for a living? And he's like, I don't know. Yeah. And that really stood out to me that yeah. he doesn't know. Um, because that's not a, a modern thing. Also, mom doesn't understand it. No. Like, um, that's pretty clear. So if mom doesn't understand it, Michael doesn't know it. Right. Which is a fascinating thing it if is. you dig deep. Because but, he only really understands things from mom's perspective. Exactly. Because she's the only one who takes time to explain them. Right. Um, or has patience for his whimsy. Yeah. At any, in any way. Dad is punishment and mm-hmm. mom is nurturing. So this is where dad shows off this new chemical that he has created where it can be dropped on rainforests from a plane like you're crop dusting. And the next time it rains, it will over oxidize the plants to the point where they are taking in so much oxygen, they forget to process it and they essentially forget to eat and they all die and turn to mulch. And we can just wash, and then when then the rain comes in, it washes all that stuff away, and we have land. Yes. Usable rainforest land. Yes. So his whole job is literally the thing that chemical companies ended up actually doing, whether they knew it or not, over the next mm-hmm. 25 years. But also what that is, is it's it's a concept that, we, that they've used a lot. So what he's talking about is not only waiting for the rain, but creating rain clouds. So what he's doing is, his whole concept is, we're going to create acid rain clouds, which has been happening. So it's such a funny thing that mm-hmm. they did that. So because that's how when you see um like those you can use those uh chemtrail things. Sure. They basically create a temporary rain cloud. Mm-hmm. Um the problem is there's a lot of chemicals in mm-hmm. that rain cloud. It becomes very acidic. And it's essentially how we get these weird little chemical acid rain things. Mm-hmm. Other than the normal evaporative way that we get acid rain. But it was so fascinating that his whole thing was yeah. just the byproduct of what you're going to be doing anyway, anyway over the next 20 years accidentally. Which is great because we're obviously looking back from the 1989 perspective 
of the 1950s and in their perspective it's this marvel of well, what this, he's created oh yeah but i also want to note the very important symmetry that he overwhelms these plants so they forget to eat yes. which is his oh, problem correct. with his son is that his son isn't wanting to isn't eat. wanting to eat so he's watching his son die yes and if his son's not eating then he's no good to him yes because his whole personality his whole life is based around eating and and he it's people. important it's, to him to convert his it's son taking energy to follow his path right and that's a common thing too it's it's this super tropey common like i want my son to be just like me mm-hmm. and take a take on the family business and the but the family business of your child the family business in this respect is cannibalism yes but i i, I do want to note it is an sociopathy owner, yeah it's an ownership thing that you're oh, able yeah, to 100%. separate your child from yourself and i dealt with this growing up with my father you know mm-hmm. like not to get into that shit but my dad was like shitty like that like it, it's that like it's when people because it happens in a, later in the movie it, it's this like punishment um and when you're man uh, we'll get to that when we get there but the idea is um you can't do you never dealt with who you are so you're trying to project all that shit onto this new person and you mm-hmm. want to mold them into the things that you never accomplished mm-hmm. um however they you're not taking into account the idea that they might want something different mm-hmm. so common right and you expect them to learn <clears throat> from your mistakes but in this circumstance it's cannibalism yes um and from here we have a, a, a interesting cute little scene cute where mom and dad are cute little scene in this movie where we eat people yeah. yes i thought that scene was actually adorable it's the first time you see michael and his dad have any real parental like father connection yes like real paternal connection yes and, and it's simple it is super simple of michael's dad helping him straightening his tie on his little clip on tie zipping up uh mom's dress and this is the moment where we have some normal normalcy in this family and they're going over to his boss michael's dad's boss's house for dinner who we learn is sheila's parents right so i i think what's weird about that is it feels very unnecessary that those are the same people. It it feels that's the one thing that got me that bumped me in this movie was that there's no real reason for those to be Sheila's parents. Sure. And also be his boss. I think that it almost has an interesting layer because it almost to me it adds that I question the playfulness of the boss in the factory at Toxico as mm-hmm. a veneer because it's like, oh, that's Sheila's dad. Then there is another side to him. I and guess so. You could view it that then way. Then when we meet the mom, we're like, well, she's pretty lushy. Sure. Um, because of this dinner scene. It explains a lot about all that. Yeah. My question is what purpose does it serve to make Sheila's dad his boss? It, I don't think it really does. That's the thing that bumps yeah, me. Yeah, it's just connection. I have no have problem have the with webbing. them working together, but I think it almost feels like a necessity just, it, to be honest, it feels like a necessity just to keep the movie moving. Yeah, and I think Because it's not that, that big of a movie. You wouldn't necessarily, there's no pressure in going to a co-worker's home for dinner. And why bring in another character you didn't need to bring in? Yeah, but room. there is pressure in going over to your boss's home for dinner. Particularly, yeah. And, and taking then, your family. Well, and also... Uh, when you realize that Sheila is kind of a bad is a bad influence, mm-hmm. that also brings into the whole concept of like, well, we can't like get mad at Sheila because our the boss's exactly. daughter. We can't. So in a way, that. it's a good complication. So Sheila gets away with a lot because she's the boss's daughter, and mm-hmm. I think that's it's unspoken, but it's 
assumed. Yeah. So we have this awkward card game scene. Um, <laughs> and Sheila and Michael are playing in her bedroom. And it, there's some moments that border on kind of inappropriate. Um, but it goes back to the thing of like, oh, this girl has been. She's clearly been traumatized. Traumatized. She has had abuse. They, The kids spy on the parents and they don't know what the parents are doing. They don't understand. And they're basically playing hearts. Yeah. I thought it was so funny that there I wrote down like yay for mansplaining science at dinner. It's it <laughs> like there's this real, real big long chunk of that scene where the two men who are scientists are talking about science things mm-hmm. while the two women just watch jaws agape and gobsmacked. Uh-huh. And it's so funny it's 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 funny and sad and it's clearly a commentary in it in and of itself. Like these women have no idea what they're talking about. No. And they don't care, but the men are saying it as if they do care and that it's going to imp- not going to impress them, but it makes them feel better because they've got a thing they can talk about uh-huh and the girls are gonna think they're so it's smart. really played that way because they're it drunk is. at this point it is and i love the way sheila's mom uh delivers the line about how that tea is from long island yeah because um, she's because like this tea is delicious also it's a real alcoholic thing to do to serve other individuals alcohol and without telling tell them. them yeah boy that is a real fi- particularly a 50s thing yes like, Nowadays, if that happened, you'd be pissed. But back in the 50s, they'd be like, oh, how fun. Uh-huh. Because that's, that's what they do. my mother did in the 70s. She would make drunken pineapple in the mid-70s like and not necessarily did. tell people and just kind of like, but everybody was already drinking at those Well, if you were events. hanging out, you were probably drinking. Like, there yeah. wasn't a big... <laughs> alcoholism wasn't a thing. Like, it was right. a thing, but it wasn't a thing in that, like, you'd have to be concerned about someone being We weren't fixing it. We, yeah, we weren't fixing it, not in the way that we're fixing it, trying to fix it these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole banality being menacing at this point in the movie is, like, perfect. It is. Like, we've reached a point where this is where it feels like nothing is happening, but everything is happening constantly. Mm-hmm. And that is so great, because there's this... I I think I particularly love menace through banality things being super normal as a trope in in movies things being so calm and normal and creepy because they're so calm and normal yes that's kind of how a lot of things in my life that have freaked me out always turn out to be um and especially spending all that time in a small town when that felt like this when i was this age Mm -hmm. so that's another reason it connected to me is that like living with my grandmother for a little while my parents were working and so I would see my grandmother more often and she's someone who would have come from this generation, you know, the way seeing these old timey ways that these uh, older women would interact being in this town, living in a house that had wood paneling in it because this mm-hmm. house was built in the sixties, like, like living around that stuff mm-hmm. and in, in this town where everyone knows you and you ride your bike around and it's, and in watching this movie, I'm like, man, mm-hmm. if you just replace some of the, the things in it, it's like 1992 two or whatever 93 when i'm in louisiana so that was really that was a really connective thing to me and it and it it makes this that much more creepy very deep connective (laughs) tissue but it makes it so much more creepy and i I wonder if it plays that way for other people because i just find this normalcy quote unquote yeah horrifying it is and i think it's why you and i always like spend most of our life left of center no matter what Uh uh-huh and I don't mean politically, et cetera. Politically, we're much farther left of center than most of the people we they live around. <laughs> we live in fucking North Texas. Uh, but but I just mean like 
I always we always both feel like we're in these neighborhoods with all the straights and we're the weirdos. Uh-huh. And and it's not that we're super out there, but compared to like our neighbors, we're pretty out there, man. And yeah. and so when you see movies like this, all I see is all of our neighbors and we're the fucking pitch people you pitchfork and chase out of town. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it, it gets you on another level. It gets me on so many levels. And I just wonder if it got you that way. And I do wonder if anybody else, if anybody else is, is, is that's listening to this is feeling that same kind of vibe, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you are. If you're into movies like this, let us know because if you find that just as creepy, yeah, I don't know that. And that's a super long sidetrack. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit stoned. I don't know. <laughs> and by maybe I am, I'm definitely am. It's quarantine, you guys. It's quarantine. It's quarantine Thursday. Um, but but anyway, that's just a super long sidetrack. But it's part of why this movie is so brilliant and so effective and works so well. It is. So it get absolutely us, get is. us back on track. Here. Well, so after this <laughs> dinner scene, we have this really interesting scene that I almost wanted to skip over um, because I'm trying not to hit every single beat in this movie. But can I real quick say one thing? No. That, that uh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to take us back to the scene that we just left. Sheila says to Michael. Um, that she caught her dad that her that her parents are weird and that she saw her dad unloading the dishwasher naked. Uh-huh. That was she okay, she so he he says, What are they doing? She says, I don't know. Last night I caught daddy unloading the dishwasher naked. And that makes me think again, she has been abused. Yeah. And it might be her creepy dad. Yeah. Right? I know. Anyway, it's really I couldn't, horrible. Anyway, I couldn't get past that scene, even though I talked for like 15 minutes about it without saying that line. I totally it was understand. So weird. I totally understand. And um, then raw meat close ups. And then we really we go straight to oh, raw no, no, no. meat You're right. close ups. No, we went to the morgue. We missed that. This is the first oh, time we go to the morgue. Well, and then that's at Toxico. Yes, we that that little scene at Toxico yep. with Dad and this guy. Yep, and, they're and he talking is about dead extracting body. the liver. Um, like he's talking and to a he butcher. Asks for some lymphs as well. And yeah. what they're doing is supposedly he's using. They're using the the chemicals. They're they're studying what. The effects of the, the effects, human body. Yes. Which is definitely happening at this time. Absolutely. This is super r- so real. So they have cadavers. They're already dead. Um, and he wants it pureed. The yeah. liver pureed. So what's fascinating about that is, again, this goes back to banality and menace because that is a real thing mm-hmm. that's totally plausible. Mm-hmm. This is how they were testing on cadavers and stuff. We still test on, I believe we still do tests on uh, people who've donated their body to science, mm-hmm. et cetera. This is basically what that is. But... When you do that scene with no pretense of cannibalism, it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. It's like, ew, gross. That's what they're doing. But when you do it with this pretense that he might be a cannibal, it sounds like, and Randy Quaid is playing it like he's talking to his butcher. Yeah. He absolutely does. And this guy is oblivious that he is Randy's butcher. And later on when he comes back to get that body, that's the body that he gets. I'm it pretty is. sure it's the same body. But what's interesting, and as we move to this next scene, yes, he's they cut cooking to the raw meat. whole pieces of meat. So we yeah. know that it's not the same liver that he just had pureed. Um, but he's making Michael breakfast. And I believe that he cuts... Is this the one where they cut from the morgue to the meat grinder up close? Mm-hmm. Or is that... No, no that's, that's later. later. Okay, yep. Yeah. Because mom is using the meat grinder. That's when we've reached peak uh, 
almost upsetting levels of raw meat. Uh-huh. Because that is a build. And this is where Michael is asking Dad about what it is again. And it, it it's just the same conversation of it's leftovers. And Michael wants to know what it was left over from. Is this where... Uh, okay, is this where he says the line... Um, no, we didn't. By the way, you missed. You jumped ahead. I did. I yeah. So after this, we go back to school, and then we go to the morgue because I definitely made a note here after, about extracting the liver from the the body at the plant. Oh, okay. Um, and so after Michael's dad makes him breakfast, and they have that conversation, we go back to school, and this yeah. is where he's called to Miss Dew's office. This is before they go to the the morgue. I'm yes. sorry, I skipped a chunk because I'm so. I, you Again, get excited. I get excited about this fucking movie. It's good. It is really good. So this is when he gets to go see <laughs> Miss Dew, and she has the family drawing, and she tries to talk to him, and he says that he's scared of the picture, um, and that she's not and a she real shows grown him, up, She shows him a I picture really of um, parents looking into, like, getting into bed. Yeah. So it's kind of, I almost expected her to pull out, like, Warshak ink blots, but it's a lot a, more straightforward cartoon drawing yeah. and to the lay person a happy child would probably say that they're seeing parents tucking their child into bed but she's asking this question to make sure to see because she i think she suspects he walked in on his parents having sex i don't know i don't know that or has she seen suspects something sexual she or dark because this is a very pointed question more about his relationship with his parents but that picture she shows is very pointed to like I'm curious if you've had some trauma involving sexuality. Sure. And that's something that she... I think that's behind why she's showing that picture of the two adults getting into bed. Sure. Um, it doesn't turn out the way she quite thought it was going to. Right. Because he can really not say much about it. He says that he's scared of this picture. And that's when she starts to press. Uh-huh. And I really love the end of this scene... Um, She's kind of bumbling again, and he says that she's not a real adult because real adults don't get scared. Yeah. And that really stood out to me because that tells you what Michael thinks um, being an adult is all about. Right. And I think that it it's, it shows his parents, too. It shows the influence there because they mm-hmm. aren't afraid of any of this stuff. Yeah. Now, so there's be- another scene coming up that I was starting to get confused. That confused or I'm sorry, with, not scared. Real adults, real grownups don't get upset. Don't get upset. Um, that they have another scene like this that we're going to get to that I think is just as impactful. And it just shows the heightening of all yes. of this stuff. So this is when they go to the morgue. Yes. And then they cut to the raw meat close-ups. Yes. And this is that fucking... It cuts from the morgue to that fucking meat grinder. It is. And, and mom, we've reached peak gross. Yes, me. we have. Because mom is processing meat through the grinder. And Michael is watching from inside the pantry. And this is another time where we show the pantry as this... It's Michael's safe space, but it turns out it's not a safe space. Yeah, because Michael... Well, mom is making the sausage. Michael gets attacked by the sausage. And mom's making this meatloaf thing, and I'm sorry. Okay, so I love cooking. Cooking is a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. I've been that way since my grandmother taught me how to cook. I love food. I love all of that, right? One, I also struggle with a lot of texture issue or not Mm -hmm. texture issues um sensory issues when Mm -hmm. it comes to touching gross things with my hands Mm -hmm. um watching this woman squish meatloaf and raw meat all over her hands and then wipe it on a towel and go back to doing Uh, things and then just put that towel down 
I almost had to pause it and take a break. I knew like my germaphobe thing. I knew watching that that you were that going I was going to be gonna affected have an issue. negatively by that. Shot. It upset me so greatly. However, um, you powered through. I powered through, and my and Michael's getting attacked by sausages. So this is clearly in Michael's head. Yeah, because Michael is being constricted by the sausages like a boa constrictor would. Yeah, because um, the idea up. of where this meat's coming from, him not wanting to eat this meat, mm-hmm. not getting the questions answered he wants, is cre- is strangling him. Literally. Yes. So we have this metaf- this visual metaphor. Yes. And then mom finds Michael in the pantry, and he's all alone. Everything has vanished yep. around him. Um, and then and we, we get our next fun dinner scene. Yeah, we get to sit down at the dinner table again. Where he asks about the leftovers. Yes. To which dad says my favorite thing that Randy Quaid says is like, because he says, what is he? Before that, what, what what were they before that? He goes, before that they were leftovers to be. I and I was like, oh, so it's so much. groovy. It's so good. It's so great. And then this is where um, he, like, Michael won't eat, so he goes to bed early, which this, we start to get this theme. And and here's the thing before we get to, because I know where we're going next, but what did mom and dad, okay, so when he goes to bed, this is one of those times where Ma, where you really see the dichotomy of mom being the nurturer and dad being the punishment. Mm-hmm. And this time, he lets Michael go to go to bed. He's more disappointed. Mm-hmm. And mom wants to go take him to bed. And dad says, no, let him go. Mm-hmm. Let so him do it himself. When they do this, it's like, okay, so dad has fully disassociated himself to the point where he's just like, I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. And he's not even mad about it. Mm-mm. Like this is that parent thing that you've Couldn't seen. Care less. Your parents being this is your parents being passive aggressive. Yeah, and it, that's so like, well done. Fine, go to bed hungry. See if I care. Yes, but it, but it's not even played like that. It's so much more menacing. I just mm-hmm. can't get over. Randy Quaid deserved an award for this movie. <laughs> so from here, this is where Michael has another dream. This is my favorite nightmare. I think this is the this is the blood fridge nightmare, right? Yep, and he. Uh, he walks into the kitchen in his dream, and there's a hand in the disposal that's up to like, the elbow, like flickering Whoa. around, and it's it's a great yep. effective shot. And then there's shot. blood dripping down from the top of the refrigerator, and Michael runs, and all these art shots are just this so is where cool. So this movie, there's so much Kubrick here. Um, it's really genius, and and this these these uh, these really really complicated nightmare scenes get more and more pointed Mm -hmm. and they're more specific and more and more done to be like like at first you're like oh this is some weird fucked up dream shit but then you start to really look at what's happening and you're like oh this is telling a bunch of story yeah because now we get to see his parents writhing around again there's more blood everything is turning now their mouths have blood. they're not just kissing each other they're biting one another and their mouths are bloody yes it's not smudged makeup yep it's now blood yes um, and everything turns to red, and we cut to mom waking up Michael. And can you can you? Um, I wrote this down late for something later, but it just I reminded myself of it. The 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 blood in this movie is is a very interesting thing. This mm. goes down to the detail that he has taken with this movie. If you'll notice, the blood uh, has a very barbecue sauce quality to it. It doesn't have a ketchup quality. It doesn't have a corn syrup quality like a lot of like real blood in movies has, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. It literally looks like barbecue sauce. Like if you slather when you like if you ate ribs and got it all over your mouth, mm-hmm. that's what the blood looks like. And that is a really smart choice because all the blood you're using 
Man, I'm hungry all of a sudden. I know, right? So <laughs> these people eating all this meat and yeah. all this sauce, so the blood, no matter what, yeah. is barbecue sauce. So we have no idea if this is his phobia of just being forced to eat meat yes. or what and is going done on so still. To, to such great effect that you don't really notice it. But toward the end of the movie, I started to notice, man, it looks like Randy Quaid's got barbecue sauce all over his mouth. And then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, oh, shit, all the blood in this movie is like a barbecue sauce thing. Because it's very uh-huh. different than like ketchup barbecue sauce. So- like it is. Ketchup style blood or sort of, you know, like Our typical corn syrup, corn syrup style, blood. style blood. So specific and very. so brilliant. Yes. Um, but yeah, so we, we get through this dream and they, they mom wakes him up. Yep. But mom wakes him up sort of in the dream at this point. Yeah, it's confusing. It's all childhood trauma metaphor. I it mean, is. like this whole thing is just a metaphor for trauma. And then we move to, I really love this cut of Michael spying on the counselor and his teacher talking about him. I thought this scene was genius. So he's clearly like in the teacher's lounge closet spying on them and they don't notice him. Yeah. Um, and they're talking about him because they're trying to figure it out. And the counselor, Miss Dew, is saying that she wishes that she could just put him in a box, diagnose Yeah, she him. wishes you could label him, put him in a box for you and tell you what this is. Yes. Which is a common thing that school counselors and and psychologists people who work with kids mm-hmm. who are talk because in this circumstance her speaking to the teacher is okay i believe yeah so she because, because she's, she's trying to find a way to help the teacher, the teacher deal with it exactly and the teacher is who brought her the disturbing drawing right. and so she's following up with what they should be doing about this situation with this kid um because you want to make sure that he's okay to an extent, yeah. they're responsible for him. And the teacher's still put out. I really love how this teacher <laughs> so put out. hates her job. She hates children. Yeah. Um, and I thought this was very funny. But what what I think is the most telling is this is where we really begin to like Miss Dew. Mm-hmm. Because at the end, she says, quote, I can't find him. I can't define him. But you know something? I like him. Yeah. And that's because she is fascinated by the way this kid's brain works. Mm-hmm. Because it goes back to this whole thing as children as sociopaths uh, is, is – would. As they they start to exhibit this sociopathic behavior and tendencies, uh, which it is all stuff we know from serial killer research mm-hmm. and looking at the childhood upbringing of these these mm-hmm. kids is like so you talked about him pubescent yeah you you've talked about him with animal abuse with this cat thing mm-hmm. um, the way he's categorizing uh, parental roles mm-hmm. and adults and the way he looks at power dynamics Mm -hmm. is very telling of a kid who's going down a path right Mm -hmm. so but particularly this time period that's why she finds him so fascinating and interesting because a lot of the time these kids are very banal you know Uh, they're that you wouldn't they're not scary they're scary once you get to know them sure you know what i mean but like it's their actions later that cumulatively are scary they build up to this point exactly but in the day to day they're just these normal kids they're just quiet at this exactly. point. And they're usually just quiet mm-hmm. because like they're brewing. You know what I mean? There's a storm there. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think she finds so interesting. And this is where you really connect with her. And you know what this whole movie is? And this is going to, this a, a, as we move forward, I, this is going to break your brain. But this is so real. If I had to explain this movie to somebody, this movie is if David Lynch adapted a David Sedaris book. <laughs> Okay, yeah, you're not wrong. So, like, take the 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 humorous banality mm-hmm. of David Sedaris's mm-hmm. upbringing in the what sixties mm-hmm. and um, his perspective and his perspective on life and family, mm-hmm. and then let David Lynch take like a Twin Peaks Blue Velvet 
mm-hmm. turn on this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, what if you get if it's if is if you gave David Lynch a David Sedaris novel and said, mm-hmm. "Hey, go ahead and adapt this for a movie." Yeah, he if you juiced <laughs> David Sedaris. Yeah, if you put it through this metaphorical, strange, bizarro, yeah. menace lens that yeah. David Lynch can do. It's exactly that. I love it. It's David Lynch's David Sedaris. That's why you love this so much. Uh, me talk pretty one day. Yes, me talk pretty <laughs> one day. So um, Michael leaves the school, and this is where he finds Sheila sitting in a tree. Now note, she's nowhere near parents again. She did not go to school today. She skipped school. And she's nowhere near adults. Exactly. So she fantasizes about them running away together and uh, never being punished again, uh, which is really interesting to me because it makes me think that her punishments are bordering on abuse, if not right. straight up abuse. Particularly because you've got this alcoholic mother and this creeper dad who's probably yes. also an alcoholic. Yes. So they uh, go to Michael's home and Sheila tears through Michael's house. He's, she's throwing food down the disposal. She's bl- like blending whole eggs. I mean, making a ruckus in this kitchen. Um, and they blew a fuse. So Michael goes down to the cellar. Yeah, they're like playing house. Yeah, but in a fairly Wild destructive ass, way. destructive way. Yes. Uh, Sheila's being pretty destructive. And then Sheila gets into the fucking wine. Oh, yeah. Dad's wine. Yeah. And just starts chugging on it. Starts chugging it. She ends up um, in the freezer and tells Michael that she'll get out if he takes off his shirt. Which is where, again, this child has been abused. Yes. Um, And then he doesn't want her in this deep freeze. He knows that he is not allowed anywhere near this deep freeze. Um and she, he wants him out of there because he knows that they're going to get in trouble for being yeah. near this deep freeze. And she is dousing him with wine and they're playing. And then dad comes home and catches them in the cellar. That's one of the most horrifying shots in this whole thing. Because at this point, to, you have the shot of Michael and um, Sheila. And Sheila in the, uh, I'm going to see how many times I can forget Sheila's name. <laughs> and Sheila in the freezer. Mm-hmm. And it's so, uh, it's almost rock, uh, like Norman Rockwellian. Like it's like a Rockwellian. Yeah picture of these two children doing something they shouldn't like a bizarro world thing of like uh-huh. uh like this is norman rockwell this is what really happens when your kids are fucking are fucked mm-hmm. up um i also think it's poignant that it's red wine that she's throwing oh, all over of course it is and and, and, and the visuals and visually the way her clothes are stained with it mm-hmm. is so beautifully childlike and fucked up it is uh and then you see dad come in and at this point this is the first time we've seen him wearing all black yes. so this is the real that this is the tone shiftiest tone shift of dad Mm -hmm. so we've reached a point with dad where dad is in full we there's no going back from here mode yeah no and 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 he and and michael gets in trouble yep i like that they cut away from the actual fury and fire of punishment it is um until his dad is then putting him to bed because he's still in trouble yeah, but mom isn't putting him to bed. Dad, this is. time dad is, and this is where dad is doing the thing that I found very relatable, and I think you find relatable with a lot of, um, I mean, not abusive parents, but like dickhead parents, controlling, controlling parents, where he's mad at Michael, but he's not mad at Michael for what he did. He's mad at Michael for this reason where he thinks that Michael thinks he's quote better than him. Yeah, he's mad that Michael is selfish and is not respecting. He yes, he's saying Mike is, Michael's being selfish mm-hmm. and being. Um, uh, it's that that 
superiority thing. He's yeah, telling, who do you think he's you telling are. Michael that, who do you think you are? You're being selfish, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. When really that's just dad projecting his own thing because the wine in the cellar is dad being selfish. Mm-hmm. The, the, you cannot go into that freezer is dad being selfish. Mm-hmm. That's my food, et cetera, is dad mm-hmm. being selfish. So he knows this and is projecting it. And it's something that I think a lot of kids deal with, uh, with shitty dads. I, yeah. I dealt with it. Um, and you as a kid, are very frustrated by the notion that um, why are they mad at me for these things? That's not why I did what I did. Yeah. That's not at all why I Parents did what I did. Parents just don't understand. Yes, but in, in, in literally in this situation, and it's very important to uh, the the development of, of kids, and particularly this one, who's clearly on the edge, mm-hmm. um, and to see dad do that is like, whoa. Okay, so again, it goes back to what's, is dad really a cannibal or is this such a shitty dad? Mm-hmm. And it, I, it's it's so brilliantly executed. <laughs> so this is also where dad tells Michael that he can't see Sheila anymore. Right. They are no longer to be friends. Which, which is, is interesting. Great. Because immediately. What happens? This is where we go to mom. Sheila's mom coming out. Sheila's hiding in the car. Yes. She says she hasn't seen Michael. But Michael and her are hiding in the convertible playing. Exactly. And... um Another scene where Sheila doesn't actually get in the same room and talk to directly to parents. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, so they're talking about her dad, right? Or they're talking about his dad. Yep. They're talking about his dad. They're talking about. Um, so she she's talking about how we don't really know what they do all day. Right. Like they could be doing anything yeah um and she kind of pontificates about what they what parents are doing what his i thought dad's that was doing. pretty great it was very uh it was a very kid explanation it is and then this is where michael goes to the plant to investigate for himself yes okay so the, sneaks into i like that he just went under the fence i love it he sneaks under the fence and i love <laughs> In broad that daylight the he gets into the division of human testing to spy on his dad Look, man, security, you could just be a kid back in the day and just sneak into anywhere. Yeah. Apparently. Um, and this is a really interesting scene because he's hiding under tables and he's like sneaking around this room yeah. in only a way that a kid could. And wh- while dad is about to do something extremely nefarious. Very. Um, but, 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 is stopped. he? Is he doing no anything idea. nefarious? Is this just Michael projecting? Yes. Um, so he drops some scissors. He drops some scissors. Michael snatches them. Um, because dad hears someone coming. Yeah. He cuts into the body and there's this crash and he steps away and Michael runs off with the scissors. We cut to later that night and... I thought this was beautifully tense. This this um, this um din- this is the next dinner scene yep. we have. So now this dinner scene is a lot tighter. We've now sat at the table. Close. So this is where Michael's walking home and dad pulls up in the car oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. offers him a ride. Oh, boy. And that scene I forgot about that. is so heavy. Yeah. And because it blends directly into the dinner scene. It does. But yeah. it's also, it, it kind of gives you that wait till your father gets home feeling. It sets the table. Oh, God. Katie, I'm done. I quit the podcast. Bye. Thank you. I'll take it from here. Okay. So it, it, it's really interesting. Um, Michael, again, doesn't want to eat, but he gives dad the scissors that he stole from the plant. Yeah, and so the the tension there is crazy, and 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 boy, it feels like they haven't talked since the car ride. Yeah, and it really doesn't. And this is when Dad's bringing home the laundry. He won't let Michael touch. Yeah, what's the under laundry the in the back, in the back seat. of the car. Yeah, and the car is full of laundry. 
piss. I How thought the laundry, laundry thing was have? very funny because it's clearly dead people. Yes. Um, or is it? We don't know. But when, when mom talks about the laundry, I thought it was funny too. But mm-hmm. it, what's what's great is it. this is the point in the movie where I was I, – I think I said it to you at one point. I was like, if this movie sticks the landing, this movie's amazing. Yeah. I think it did. Spoiler alert. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so – this I think that Michael goes to bed hungry again. Mm-hmm. Um, he just doesn't want to eat, and then he has another great dream. And this one's quick. And the dream sequences, if you're tracking them, they have this bell curve of sort of length and intensity. Mm-hmm. And when we hit the one with the arm in the the mm-hmm. thing the and the blood one. the blood br- blood fridge, mm-hmm. that's the peak of the curve. Yeah. Right. So that's the peak of the bell, and now it has come back down, and so. That's probably the long. That's probably the shortest and most intense one. Mm-hmm. And the next ones are uh, getting increasingly long. I think, and they're getting uh, or not increasingly long, but they're getting increasingly uh, or decreasingly intense. Yeah. So from here on in, it's it's less intense dreams and more intense reality. Well, so we have Sheila at the foot of his bed, and then we're he's being buried in this impossibly deep grave by his parents, and it's quick. This is actually probably Super the peak. Fast, this is probably the peak. a little like snap, but it's very intense because this is the peak. Then for there's sure, there's that push pull of yeah. him in the bottom of this grave with his parents pushing dirt onto him mm-hmm. that is really effective. Because I think at this point, Michael's a hundred percent confident that his parents are. He's ninety percent confident his parents are cattle eating people. Yes, absolutely. Like Eighty to ninety percent. Yeah, um, and then Michael gets up and he finds his parents sleeping in bed and he makes his way to the cellar to find a vat of clothes. And this is where he finds the bloody cleaver. There's meat hooks. And then there's this woman's leg hanging from a meat hook on the ceiling. Yeah. And this is his, he's going to sneak off and find out. Michael runs back to his bedroom and this is where dad is sitting on his bed waiting for him. This was great. Cause I, I kind of had a, I, I had a little feeling it'd be great if dad was there. And he was, but it was so well executed that you really don't know dad's there. Yeah. Like a lot of the time you can see the outline in the darkness and uh-huh. you couldn't see it. It was so Nothing. well done. It was so well done. He flicks the light on and dad is sitting on the bed. And you're like, oh, fuck. So we have another little menacing conversation between the two of them and Michael goes back to bed. And I thought, because he basically goes, you were getting a midnight snack, uh-huh. which the parents did early on in the movie. Yes. And it was real gross and creepy because they clearly go into eat meat and very sexual. Um and it, but what was great about that scene, if we're looking backwards, is again down from the bottom. You only see their feet, mm-hmm. and they're only doing things with their feet. And you're seeing this very low angle shot. Mm-hmm. It's from a kid's perspective. Absolutely. And it it it's just it's so menacing. But uh, what I thought was great was when he tells Michael to go to sleep, he takes the little like ho ho or whatever Michael had in his pocket mm-hmm. out, and he's like, "Oh, you're getting me a night snack. How dare you!" And then because of that, his punishment was, quote, when we get up in the morning, we're going to brush our teeth twice as hard and twice as long. I know. And I was like, so hygiene punishment? Yeah. Okay. I mean, some parents would have made you get up and brush your teeth right then and there. I guess so. But, you know. is this So is this where we cut to Ms. Dew again? At the yeah. Thing? So Michael goes to the school counselor to tell her the bad thing that he saw. But he and can't tell her because his parents hear everything. His parents hear everything. And then she presses deeper here. Yeah, she wants to know about his dreams. And what I thought was interesting about her performance here, and I wonder if it's scripted this way, but she's really asking him these questions like, now that she knows, she reali- it's almost as if she realizes, fuck, I have to ask him these questions now, mm-hmm. which is a very real psychologist thing. Mm-hmm. Like, and you can see it. Because it's like, you open this door, now we have to go down this now path. Now we have to go down this path. And it's almost as if she's she's asking the questions begrudgingly, 
A little bit. She's kind of interested. But she's also afraid of what the answers are going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, and you can kind of see it behind her performance. I think and Sandy is- Zinnis does that amazing little, like, it, it's it's almost like she's she wants to swallow an entire cigarette while he's saying every word. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and it's, it's really... It's a genius acting stroke. Yeah. Because she does. She seems like she's afraid of everything he's about to tell her. Because she's like, once I hear this, I can't go back. And yeah. truthfully... That's what happens. Yeah. Once he reveals this information, she's done for. He's yeah. sealed the she's sealed the death certificate. Mm-hmm. So, um, she is what what I think is also interesting is that we're getting intercut here with flashbacks uh, from Michael. Also, this is why Mrs. Do Sandy Dennis. This is why she has an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Sure. Just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I just like fully waxed her car right there, and then I was uh-huh. like, wait a minute. She is an Academy Award winning actress. Missed a spot. Let me play with that exhaust (laughs) one time. Um, So this is where uh, Miss Dew takes Michael home. He runs in and she helps uh, him confront the seller. Yep. Um, She's... He is frozen in fear. He can't. He can barely speak. He's just kind of walking on the cellar, but everything's been cleaned up. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there anymore. Oh, because did we say when he went to the cellar earlier in the time when he got up in the middle of the night, he found a leg hanging from a meat hook? Yes, that is what I... But again, like I, I was more focused on the ho-ho, uh, which I think just means <laughs> that I'm hungry. But again, did he see it? Is it real? Right. Just wanted to get that we out there. We don't know. But she does find a rat. She starts shooing the rat away and a body falls on her and she screams horrifyingly. And this is when everything collapses in and we have to question, wait, she can't be hallucinating. But also, is is this reality? hallucinating the body? Is she even there? Is she even real? Yeah. And and because... I know she is, but... But is she? But I mean, in, in context... I think that she is. I think. I think that we have to view this movie as that all this stuff happens and that they are cannibals. Mm-hmm. But it's very interesting to think about it as like, did this even happen? Mm-hmm. Because when that body pops up, it's almost in my head. I'm like, wait a minute, is she yelling because a body fell, or is she yelling because that rat lunged at her, and then Michael just sees a body in his head mm-hmm. and then runs away mm-hmm. and locks her downstairs? Because that's exactly what he does. He shuts her in the basement. He panics. He panics. Um, and she bursts out. He runs to his room. She's looking for him. And um, she ends up being shoved and locked into the pantry. Yeah, she she makes her way in there, kind of. Yeah, like, in a panic. She's, she's looking for him, but then she like stumbles. I think that she's pushed into yeah, the pantry. Yeah, I think you're right, because we see gloved hands. Yes, and the door slams behind her. And the next thing you know... We're getting stabbed this through scene the is, louvered door. This scene is genius. And I know that they've people have done this before. Um I think the way it's executed is so brilliant uh, with the stabbing happening through mm-hmm. the door and the way she's responding to it is so much more shock and less fear and horror. Like her survival senses have kicked in. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, she, she has an Academy Award. Knife. She's a genius. She's very it, good. She does very natural things. She gra- tries to grab the knife, but you can see it. What's all? What I think is so brilliant about it is that you read it on her face. It's mm-hmm. not just that she's doing these things out of shock. You read her face going thinking. You can mm-hmm. see her thinking Processing. in shock going, how do I get out of this? Mm-hmm. So she sees the knife and you can see it on her face. Like well, I, I should grab it. So mm-hmm. she grabs the knife and it cuts her hands. And then she, she doesn't. 
like scream because of it, but she's clearly bleeding and you can see on her face that it's like, oh no, I shouldn't have done that. But what do I do now? I have to survive. So she bursts or she punches through and unlocks the door. And and yeah, because the, hit a bunch. the pantry door had been latched shut from the yep. outside. So she unlatches it and starts to make her way out. And then golf she club. gets a golf club to the head. And I'm going to say it's a wood. So I'm going to say it's, um, you it know, like a driver. It's could a be good a, driver. Could be three wood. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this is it, it, everything goes white. We pass yep. out with her. And then mom and dad are cooking dinner. And um, on the grill. Yep, they're grilling again. And Michael hits dad with the baseball bat. Yeah, so dad, and then dad trips and falls, and mm-hmm. all the meat goes everywhere. And then, so what I thought was interesting too is I don't know how much to read into Michael and the baseball bat versus dad and the golf club. Mm-hmm. There's this, there's a duality there that I think is interesting. Um, and that's also metaphor. Like every ounce of this movie is dripping in metaphor and mm-hmm. purposefulness. It's and I, I love it so much for that. Same. So as uh, dad's bringing in the meat, he gets hit. The next thing we know, Michael's tied up in the dining chair. And can I say real quickly, we've talked about this before. Um, this is how you earn killing an innocent helper character. Mm-hmm. That's how this is earned. Mrs. Dew's death is well earned by Mrs. Dew and every other character in this movie. So that is not thrown. She is not thrown away. No. So if you want to see how to not throw away a character and do it for a reason, this is how to do it. Mm-hmm. Because when you see her die, you're emotionally affected by it because you're like, God damn it. But you're not pissed about it. No. Because you realize that she is a sacrificial lamb for the story. But in a way, you're almost relieved because it confirms that Michael's not crazy. At this point, yeah. At this point, this is where we At have this to moment, just think. We have to assume that Michael not is not crazy. His parents are killing and eating people, and right. he's the only one who sees it. And um, and it makes you even more afraid because mm-hmm. now it's real. Because now you've seen them kill a person, particularly mm-hmm. a person that you've grown to be, at the very least, interested in their motivation and their direction. Um, but you're not mad that they killed them because now you know what's got to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's so smart. And we've seen so many movies where like when we're watching, maybe it was Slumber Party Massacre, there's a couple of people that die where you're like, they didn't deserve this. And mm-hmm. in the end of that movie, how they they get to kill the guy, mm-hmm. the, the, the one character, what's her name, that spends most of her movie, most of the movie in another house doing nothing to help anybody mm-hmm. gets to kill the bad guy. So unjust. Unearned. But in this situation, you've just killed a character who's probably his only help. Mm-hmm. It's 100% earned and 100% necessary. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was something I needed to call out because we had so many times where we've talked about that being mm-hmm. such a frustrating thing. Because it's like people, and this is not, I don't mean a pun, but like these characters aren't meat. No. And if you treat them like meat, then there's not they're not a character anymore. No. They're unimportant. And this is the only adult who has treated time. Michael like an equal and has tried to understand and get to know him. Correct. The only um adult he's ever seen get upset, apparently. Yep. Um and so to Michael, Miss Dew represents so much. And to the audience, in turn, mm-hmm. she represents hope. 
Yes. And you've taken the hope away. So this is where dad has another monologue with Michael. And, and then he's tied up. He, Michael's tied up and he is about to untie Michael. But he says, you know, you could go and you could tell people. But, you know, what'll happen is they'll come back here and they'll burn us. They're yep. going to burn your parents. Would you like that? And can I go on my can I go one more time on my uh, my film analyzation soapbox? So this is the genius of these fucking table scenes. Mm-hmm. I brought it up earlier. Now, now we're sitting at we're the table. We're on a turntable. Mm-hmm. Now we're sitting at the table with him. It's the full antithesis of the first dinner scene shot. So we bookended with these dinner mm-hmm. scenes so beautifully. In the first one, the camera's moving around the characters. And now the camera is the characters and the world is revolving around them. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there with them. Mm-hmm. So we've gone from this voyeur situation where now we're complicit. We're in it. We might as well be a dish on the table. That well, is no, our perspective. Well, yes, and we're responsible now. Yes. We are fully a party to murder. We're thick. So now that we've had a murder happen on our watch as the viewer and on Michael's watch as the, uh, as the narrator, basically Mm -hmm. we are now sitting in the world revolving around us and we're fucked too, because we're in it. So now the audience is fucked. That is so smart. Mm -hmm. And he had to plan that from point A to point to, to Z. Mm-hmm. I just think that's super brilliant. It's great. And, and the way this scene ends by the mother saying mint jelly mm-hmm. is so perfect. When it's she so perfect. says that, it's the only thing she says mm-hmm. as he goes through this whole thing about eating, etc. And then... Um, so this is where they get to look into... There's this great shot of the whole family looking into the pot of meat and like yep. stirring it. And dad talks about how they could move to the mountains. I wrote this down. Near this a highway. Is, this is a great line. So here's what he says verbatim. He says, I've been thinking about the mountains. And this is all so banal again. And it's, it's so great. So they've had the scene where he basically explains that they are cannibals and you're just going to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Now you're part of it. Right? So they untie Michael camera stops rotating but we have this thing and he says i've been thinking about the mountains we could move there live simply back in the woods with a major highway nearby of course for the accidents we have more time together especially us michael there's so much i want us to do to talk about like that whole thing is like now as the as the viewer and as michael you're like fuck Uh uh-huh because this is where they sit down and dad feeds michael yeah he literally cuts his meat and feeds him. You, it, Michael it, has no choice. This is the first time in dad's eyes that Michael has been born. Mm-hmm. So Michael, when Michael found this out, Michael was just born. Now he's part of the family. Yes, this is his newborn child. Mm-hmm. So he is now feeding his child. This is the first time he's viewed Michael as his child, mm-hmm. not as his and how thing that lives in respond? his house. Michael grabs a steak knife and stabs his dad in the chest. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, dad grabs Michael by the head and they like struggle and like fight around. They knock a candle over in the dining room. And dad's decided he's going to kill Michael. Oh, he is pissed. He carries Michael off and mom has had it. She stabs dad. Well, mom says uh, very importantly, mom says, uh, no, you know, don't don't do anything to him. Don't hurt him. This is a very intense scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to skip over this too much because at, at one point in this scene, Dad says, uh, "Don't worry about it. He's just a kid. We can always have another one, a better mm-hmm. one, one that will do." You know, he wants to mold this new generation of cannibal. Mm-hmm. It's so important to him. Yes, and um, and this is where, like you said, she stabs him in the back. Because she's decided, like, no, that's my baby. This is where the mother instinct. This is where mom is 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 
mom is the anti-hero in this yes. movie. And and so mom stabs and I thought they show the entire turn of the mom and the father and so she they they don't cut away from this or allude to anything. I thought no. this was smart. Michael runs away, but we stay with mom and dad, and he turns back to her. After she stabs him. And he's betrayed. He can't. Yes. He's kind of in shock that she did it, but he is not going to stand for it. He turns the knife around on her. And ends up putting her to the ground until she's dead. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really interesting that they show the entirety of that turn from the time the mother stabs him to the time he turns around mm-hmm. to her fear of like, what have I done? Mm-hmm. Fuck. To the turn of him stabbing her to the ground. And they don't cut away on any of this. As she dies. Yes. I thought that was way more than this movie deserves, than this movie's conceit deserves. This whole movie is about being way more than the conceit of this movie deserves. Yeah. That was so beautifully done. And so effective and mm-hmm. upsetting. Mm-hmm. And then to have him, just like the the stalker killer, go try to get down those stairs. Yes. Yeah, so he makes his way to the cellar looking for Michael. And he falls down these stairs. And he's we get bleeding these art out like shots a motherfucker. again of him collapsing. Um, and I love, I love it when we get these Kubrick shots. And this is where you'll see... This is where I first noticed, really noticed the barbecue sauce because Michael's dad is now bleeding out mm-hmm. and what's around his mouth and the mouth and his face, it's all barbecue. Like it yeah. looks like barbecue sauce. It's so smart. Yeah. It's great. Because it's of genius. the food thing going yes. on. So uh, Michael kind of approaches him. Dad tries to lunge and grabs for him, but Michael runs and hides and dad crawls towards him. Um, he collapses and he pulls that pipe out of the, the gas, gas meter. Yeah. Um, and this is Check where natural gas. this natural gas comes back finally. Um, and so he tries to use those shelves of wine to pull himself up, but he pulls both racks over onto himself. Yep. Um, the gas is leaking. There's fire roaring in the dining room and Michael runs away from the house as there's an explosion. And dad is is covered in a pool of red wine and barbecue sauce. Yes. And I think that that is an extreme, like it's almost as if the barbecue sauce as blood was done as a metaphor, the entire movie just for this last scene where dad is covered in the sauce from the beginning and the wine he's drinking throughout the movie. It's that same sauce that Michael was playing with in the kitchen with his mom, where she said, that we dip the meat in the sauce when it's done. And that's what they use for blood in this whole movie. Yes. Like it's visually there and it's so smart. And we see a bowl So yeah, we have this huge explosion and Michael escapes. Yes. So Michael asks his parents... So this is where we get to see where what ends up with Michael. We have yeah. a little bit of a... A little epilogue. A little bit of a breath with this epilogue, which is really great. This movie so deserves this epilogue. He asks if his parents are in heaven. He's with his grandparents. Grandma and grandpa, you know, they're they're saying like, yeah, we think he's in heaven. They're putting him to bed. Heaven's a long way away. He asks if it's a long way away. Yep, it's a long and way it's, away. What's funny is he's asking these questions not – he's asking them as if a sad kid would ask them, but he's asking them to make sure he's safe. Yes. Absolutely. <coughs> he wants to make sure that they're far away. <coughs> I got to – piece of person stuck in the back oh of my, throat. my you should have pureed it better i know um so this is really great grandpa and grandma put michael to bed and then out of nowhere they put this meat sandwich and they talk about how he looks just like glass his glass of milk and so you know it's the paternal grandparents because he looks just like his and dad. they show the little picture of his parents mm-hmm. and so at this point you're asking wait a minute 
is this systemic? Are the parents, uh-huh. are the grandparents also cam- cannibals? This is where we get to see the sandwich, the milk, and we fade to black. Yep. And you hear, do you, don't you hear something uh, over that? I can't remember what it was, but it's just, a, it's a really effective last scene. God damn it. It so really good. is. And then I have to say, I really, really love the uh, song for the credits. They, oh, they use put it right on Eater. the yeah. nose with Purple People Eater. And all the music is so perfectly... Everything is on the nose. Everything is, but it it's so purposefully on the nose. Like it's yes. it was supposed to be. The whole thing was on the nose from the beginning, and it's not satire, but it feels like satire. Honestly, it's like it could be a period piece horror movie. That's basically yes. what it is. Yes. But God damn it, if this movie isn't brilliant, I just really I love fun. every second of it. And the little credit post credit thing with the the whole cast kind of doing their little Aussie and Harriet popping out of the front door, wave waving the, high. I thought was smart. Really? Everyone in it is so good. It's so well cast. It's so like it, what I what I also love about this is this movie could have um, you could very easily make this a stage play. Oh yeah, I, it, it's just such a brilliant movie, mm-hmm. and I'm annoyed because it got so panned. Like and it's still to this day, I think it's still only got like fifty percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something. And oh, I'm like, how is that so possible? So undeserved. Like, well. I mean, Ugh. I guess that makes me. I, I, I think I know the answer. But how many bloody human sausages would you rate this film out of out nine? Of, yeah, and I, and this might be the first nine. Is it the first this nine? This is your first nine. This is a nine. And the only reason it's not a ten is because I don't feel like we've done enough things on here to give something a ten already. But this is a nine. Yeah. I don't have any problems with this movie. I love it. No, fuck it. This is a 10. This is the first 10 I'm giving. Wow. This movie is 100% the best one we've watched. By far, hands down, I want to watch this movie again. I love this movie. I think it's genius in terms of being a good one of these type of movies mm-hmm. and being a... I think in real world, if you put this up against other movies, uh, like if you were to take this to the Academy Awards, this is like a 7. So sure. this is like a very, very good movie in mm-hmm. terms of movies. Mm-hmm. But in terms of B-movie genre movies, this is 100% a 10 for me. Mic drop. And it's okay. You can give it whatever score you want. I'm going to give it a 10. I'm... I will not be offended. I have to say that I, I too, loved this film. But I'm going to give it an 8. Totally fine. Totally understandable. It's worth it at an 8. It is. And... It's a full eight. We're almost at a nine. I mean, I could be generous and give it a nine, but I kind of just want to be contrarian to you. <laughs> You're fine. And pull that, I'm that totally 10 fine. down I'm a totally bit. fine with it, but I, I can't not give this movie a 10 because it, it just affected me all so of your much. Boxes. And I don't know if I'm affected of it because of like the, the, the parental thing. Like, sure. Like, pr- like putting my dad in there or mm-hmm. what that's doing. But I just think, I think the filmmaking is, is, so smart and so thoughtful and so purposeful and the kitsch of the whole thing mm-hmm. is so purposeful like nothing in this movie is out of place the other thing is in this film and our score is definitely we've said this before it's an enjoyability type of rating it's not yeah, like a, how i have perfect to give it a this. nine because i'm just being a well, I'm brat by giving to, it an I, eight. i'm not trying to make you change your no thing. i am saying that my my giving it an eight my, i said nine to myself before you said 10 you can give it eight and a half no i'm gonna give it a nine all right because i'm just hungry and feeling contrarian okay and i think that it's the themes that get it for me yeah it's that every single scene and movement through this film even the slow pieces are drenched in theme 
whether it's um, parents don't understand and the perspective dichotomy or the food mm-hmm. or the cannibalism. It is just everything top to bottom. It works for me. And nothing in this movie is done that nothing happens in this movie that doesn't service the story. And that yeah. is so important. Yeah. And I mean, look, if, if, if you take away the cannibal aspect and plug in some other family drama, mm-hmm. this movie's not a 10. No. If you take away the archness from Randy Quaid or yep. any of this stuff, this movie doesn't work. If you put this version of Randy Quaid as the dad in any other thriller, I don't think it works. Sure. But for the the, the aesthetic of this movie, mm-hmm. for the tone and the mood the and period. how we're viewing it through the eyes of a kid who this is how he sees everything, mm-hmm. it's perfection. And yeah. I, I just think I think that this is criminally underrated. I know it has has gotten a um it's gotten a cult following, but I think and, and maybe who fucking knows? I'm gonna watch this movie again at some I point. Know. Who knows, maybe I watch it again and I am not as taken by it as I am here. But from Doubtful. what I've seen, I just I don't understand. And and if you don't like this movie or and you're out there, send us an email, uh B dot troth at gmail dot com. Uh B dot T R O T H E D. See if I spell it every time, then I'll remember how to spell it. Mm-hmm. B dot T R O T H E D betrothed at gmail dot com. Come at me. Because <laughs> I I will defend this movie to the death until someone can can actually convince me that that there's a reason why people don't like this movie. I don't understand, the... or why, particularly at the time, the reviews were like, they were like, this is sort of like bland and textbooky and not work, and like it is what it is, and it's just like you just didn't get it, man. Maybe you didn't get it, or just like you didn't watch it because it's what's so difficult about reviewers, particularly in this time period, is you really get a sense that a lot of these people never watched it because a lot of them didn't. Yeah. There's a lot of reviewers that that notoriously just kind of made their assumptions up by not paying attention or watching the trailer. Like, mm-hmm. that was a problem back in the day. It was. And, and I wonder if it still is now. I can't speak to that. Sure. Um, but, man, you read some of, these, some of these reviews and it's just like... And now we're in the age of the user <sighs> review, which is... A completely different story. We sure. used to rely on critics for their opinions on these things. You could look in the newspaper when we were children and see stars next to films that have been out. And I don't... I try really hard to ignore critics. Same. And even Rotten Tomatoes. I really don't like Rotten Tomatoes as a concept and an idea. To to have that many people have the power to just shit on something is just the reason why things don't get made anymore. Well, it's the problem with the internet, like Bodie McBoatface. Right. It's one of the reasons why we can't make these middle movies is because like they get panned, they get stolen, they get shit on, and uh, and they don't make any money for the mm-hmm. people that want to put them out. So they're not going to give anybody money to make them anymore. But this one is a gem. But this one is a, is a gem, and anyone who says otherwise is wrong. Yeah. I mean... I'm sorry. You're wrong. It is a, a real. I just I had so much fun with this film. I don't care when you are in a relationship, you need to go watch this one. Great segue. Yeah, I, as, as far as I know, we talk about it every time. Is like, where in a relationship would you watch this? And it's a fun game to play. I don't care if you're single. I don't care if you've been in a relationship for thirty years. I don't care if you got seven girlfriends and you're living in Utah. Watch this movie. It's fucking great. If you have parents, if you have childhood trauma, mm-hmm. if you have... If you're human. If you're a human being, this movie is relatable on levels, on very interesting levels, and it's about cannibals. It's so... It shouldn't be. You know right. what I mean? 
but it's just so it's such good filmmaking. And what I really love, and it's it's simple. It is it's it's intricate, yes. but it's also extremely simple and effective. It's like someone took a the most simple <coughs> idea of a child misunderstanding their parents and blowing the situation out of proportion. But I still don't know for sure if the parents were cannibals. You still don't know for sure if it was all in Michael's head or not. Yeah. If these this unfortunate event at the end of the film happened and we're still just suspicious so we don't know. And that's the thing. You don't really see what happens to the uh, the social worker to Ms. Dew afterwards. You don't know if that's her they're eating. Mm-hmm. You, you're, you're led to believe that. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it. I think that you reach a point in the end, and we talked about this, where it's like, you you now you kind of have to just believe that it's really happening even if it's not really happening to get you through the end of the movie yeah and i think it's on purpose it absolutely now, is. i could if i ever got the chance to speak with bob balaban i i don't know if he would tell me uh, you know that none of that's on purpose and it was all an accident and i'm viewing it that way but to hear you confirm that i'm viewing it this way similar to the way you viewed it makes me feel way better mm-hmm. because it's it's just tickling those really fun parts of my brain that 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 make me want to do like this podcast Mm -hmm. because yeah it's campy and it's goofy and i really enjoy one where we can talk about a goofy campy bad movie Mm -hmm. but this is a goofy campy good movie in the Mm -hmm. best possible way Mm -hmm. and it is so worth discussing like when we like the first couple of saw movies uh i know that that's not high art but like the first saw movie is brilliant. Mm-hmm. The second saw movie is the MTV version of art, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's definitely there are things that can be interesting and fun to talk about. The third saw movie starts to kind of get then down that hole, and then we move down the hole. Point. And I've seen I've seen all of it, and uh, well, I've seen most of it, and I still enjoy it. Just like I enjoy you know Slumber mm-hmm. Party Massacre. Mm-hmm. It's it's bad, but it's fun to watch. But back in the day when the Saw movies were coming out, we would sit and talk about them they afterwards were for like an hour because it was such a fascinating, like particularly the first Saw and the, the twist at the end of the first Saw. Mm-hmm. And I know you've probably seen it, you've probably heard it, but <clears throat> I won't spoil it just in case for some reason you're, you never watched it and you're younger. I don't know how. Um, but the twist at the end of that movie, and, and I remember sitting in uh, my ex-girlfriend's apartment with a bunch of friends after watching that movie for the first time and going like, and we're like 20 years old and just Mm -hmm. discussing all the little aspects of it yeah, and what this meant and what that meant and what did they do here? Mm -hmm. And and when did you realize this was what was happening here? Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I had a similar, for me, it was at my boyfriend at the time's dorm room and we were watching it and he, I think that by then at least the first two had come out, if not three. Uh And, I hadn't watched any of them. You might be around so the same time. So this was my first boyfriend that was, was showing me horror and genre stuff and yeah. helping expose me to it because I couldn't have done it alone. Sure. I would have been too scared. Um, but I really, this kind of falls in the same vein of it keeps you talking, but you also are interested to rewatch it because you don't have all the answers. And it gives you something to think about. It's salacious in a way, but in a way that's just that sparks uh that 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 lights up the synapses yes. in your brain in a really Leave positive me way. with questions. Yeah. Give me something to chew on. And that's something that we really can lean people with too is is one of the reasons why genre film is very important and I think important to relationships is it creates a conversation. It mm-hmm. makes you talk about things that 
you may not have ever discussed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it makes you talk with your significant other about serious things that, that can happen or are mm-hmm. real or possibilities or it makes you explore if, your fears. If you've ever considered veganism. Yeah, or, exactly. Um, I mean, this is one of those films that really had me thinking like, God, <laughs> we've got to start doing Meatless Mondays again. Well, yeah, we've got to like work some of the meat out back out. But <clears throat> I mean – that that's just a that's it's this is a love letter to genre film this movie is it literally is mm-hmm. it's a love letter to filmmaking and getting to talk about it with you has been really cool because this is what this whole thing is about yeah and i want everyone out there to just remember that while even though there's a goofy monster in it and <clears throat> you know people are squishing meat with their hands and someone might like projectile vomit on somebody like that doesn't mean that it's not going to create a, a, a interesting conversation about you know to help you decide whether or not your partner is a sociopath Do you know what yeah. i mean like like there's so much that can be learned through conversations surrounding horror sci-fi yeah. action how would you solve the natural grass resource issue <laughs> well i think that we don't need hanged men I think mm. you need beheaded men, gallo like 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 actual style, yeah. no like uh, you know put their head in a in a mm, um, guillotine guillotine and and chop their head off then they'll burn oh, forever. You know what? If you could find a way to strip the body from the spine, turn mm-hmm. the head upside down, and use the spine mm-hmm. as a wick, I think we've got it. You're close. I think you need to melt the heads down separately oh. and then introduce them on top of the rest of the body like wax. Because sure. you want to have sure. that. It's like that double-tiered wax where you know, like you'll have a candle that smells like pina colada on top and pineapples yeah, underneath. Yeah. Just make sure you trim your wick to about a quarter inch. That right. that extra smoke can be toxic. And it, it begs the question is, uh, you know, can you use a human penis as a wick? Oh, well, you know, I feel like... You don't fill it with blood, though. Mm. Hollow it out and fill it with gasoline. <laughs> okay. Burn for a long time. Wow. Well, on that note... <laughs> <laughs> These are the important conversations you need to have with your spouse. These are the important conversations you have with your spouse when you've been together for over 10 years. Exactly. Look, guys, in all seriousness, this was a really good one. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on, like we talked about, uh, you know, your the way your relationship interacts with these type of movies. Yeah, I want to know what you and your spouse think about this particular film. So, you know, shoot us an email at... b.trothed.gmail.com Spelled? B-T-R-O-T-H-E-D at gmail.com That's right, b.trothed at com, And follow us on all the things on Instagram at betrothedpod and on Twitter at b.trothed and you can follow me on all the things that i am chris hayden i'm at katie may 2k that's k-t-m-a-e 2k i'm glad she spelled it for you guys i have done it before but i kind of like to give people a break you've got to everyone spells things weird i know but it's just the letters kt may is french with the e 2k like 2000 i almost fell asleep here at the end it's a really good thing that I mean I kind of wish that it was M-A-Y so it was M-A-Y-2-K oh no on that note fuck off and die fuck off and die (laughs) 